All right. Hello. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Politics Band podcast. And I'm once again joined by Blair. Blair, thanks for coming by today and uh, actually enticing me to do a podcast because I'm sure as uh, even though this is a limited audience, it's still an audience and I'm sure they've realized that there hasn't been anything posted for at least the last several weeks, if not like, I think it's been closer to months, man. Co- closer, closer to months, and I th- and I, uh, the reasons why uh, have everything to do with the topic of today, which is going to be basically like big tech censorship, um, and uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty wide umbrella, but I think we're going to try and squeeze everything in under there. But Ooh, I another three hour podcast, another three hour podcast. <laughs> With, with multiple bathroom breaks. So I think it's important to, I, I think I should start out talking about, first of all, why I haven't posted for a while, because I think it actually has a very important bearing to what we're going to talk about today. Although not necessarily from a big tech standpoint, but it definitely has a condition of that. Um, you know, there's, when it comes to some of the behavior that um, you've seen out in the political sphere in terms of not just not just censorship, but basically the tactics that people use to silence other people and to effectively remove their ability to be effective. I think that this is nothing new. I've seen it a lot uh, in various different areas of the media, and but I, I and I you would think that when you see it happen to strangers, that it would still click, especially if you're a person like me and you learn a lot from other people's mistakes. But this really came home for me. Not personally, but somebody I know. Uh, I'm not going to give too many details because, well, I mean, part of the reason why I structure this podcast the way I do is because I keep my identity out of it. And that's not a challenge to anybody to to try and, and dox me or anything, although I've just made it significantly harder for everyone because I've actually uh, removed my, uh, I removed my Twitter account. I removed my Facebook account. I still have my my personal Facebook account. Um, but I've, I've taken this podcast completely off of social media, uh, because of the fact that some of the things that I talk about on here, if it was projected to a wider audience would most likely, uh, destroy my career. I, I can, I can tell you this, especially with, uh, an additional story that is related to my employer that I'll actually talk about, because that also, I think has some bearing on what we want to talk about today. So very quickly, uh, an acquaintance of mine. Uh, is an attorney somewhere here in the United States and it, where he, the county in which he resides in, and he's been an attorney for, for probably over a decade now. And I know him very well. Our politics align very closely. He's a family oriented conservative. He's uh, very, he's a, he's, he's definitely very religious devout. In fact, he's a very traditional Catholic. Um, so family, God and country, very, very important to him. He's highly intelligent. And this is a, he's the kind of uh, I, I will call him an idealist, but I don't mean that as an insult. Uh, he really believed that he could change the system from inside and that going into law is a way to, is a way to do that. So, uh, but he had a personal Facebook account and for several years he was very vocal about his opinions. Now he never said anything that I would consider to be uh, hateful, racist. He never threatened anybody. This is a guy who operates on facts and sometimes those facts are pretty blunt and they're a little ugly. You know, when you point out that, uh, for example, certain religions across the world uh, openly advocate for the subversion of women, uh, for the uh, incarceration or murder of homosexuals, the fact is these are 
fundamental truths that are, can be backed up by evidence. These truths are uncomfortable to some people because they would rather live in a bubble thinking that certain areas of the world don't exist this way. But by and large, uh, this friend of mine would express opinions about those kind of hard truths. Well, he decided that he was going to apply for a judicial appointment on the bench. And the way things work in his county is there's no elections. You're actually appointed by um, a committee. And the reason why that was done is because this particular county is fraught with corruption, especially on the Democrat side. It's a heavy, heavy Democrat county. Um, and so the state had to step in and ensure that there was a commission that elected judges because otherwise you would never have anything other than a radical leftist judge on the bench. It would have been, the whole system would be rigged. So in the process of him, so he throws his hat in the ring and um, lo and behold, a bunch of his old, now he hasn't had a Facebook account since 2016. That's something really important to understand. And old Facebook posts of his from prior to 2016 started appearing on the, in the mailboxes of all sorts of different organizations and public officials. And of course the intent was to try and shut him down. Um, eventually they made it to, uh, I guess what would probably is, uh, it's like the local wing of the NAACP who then of course complained to the media and the, the regional newspaper um, basically put out a massive hit piece on him. So they, of course, they had not, no one could corroborate whether or not these posts actually existed because his account has been gone for years. Mm -hmm. So they just had screenshots or printouts. They, someone sent them physical media, physical mm -hmm. printouts. So nobody could prove that these posts actually existed, and, but they ran with it anyway. And, of course, the media destroyed his reputation locally. And not only did he not get the judicial appointment, but he actually lost his job at his law firm. His law firm had several leftist clients and they complained and he was fired. Um, so now he essentially has no job. 10 years of working for this firm as a success. He's a highly successful litigator. I mean, I mean, he's not like a, you know, he's not an ambulance chaser. This is a guy who does serious law and he got thrown out at a moment's notice because a bunch of wealthy leftist clients were like, this guy needs to go. So, that really hit home with me. Um, and in my area of work, I'm, you know, I, I have the same dangers in terms of opinions that are not, I would argue, not controversial, factually based, you know, rational, logically based. Um, but because they're uncomfortable, people might say, you know what, you got to go. And I really struggled with, with coming back behind the microphone to do a podcast because it occurred to me just how much I have to lose and how quickly we've seen um, people not so much like lose everything, but how they have lost a lot for, yeah. for almost like for, for nothing, like for virtually nothing for um, the, the, the most recent example. And I don't have the specifics, but there was like a reporter on Twitter that misgendered, which I can't, in the twenty in the twenty first century, it's like you you know the notion of misgendering somebody, the notion of even saying that there are two genders and no and no more. These are the kinds of things that actually get you booted from social media, and also those are the things that are used 
to they you know they go after your employer um you know these are people who try to call cps and have your kids taken away they harass your spouse they try to get your spouse fired from your job there's no more like basically there's a real problem where we have conservatives but i would say any individualist whether they're conservative libertarian there's a number of people who don't realize that they're in a street fight right now mm-hmm. with the radical progressive left and they're yelling for a referee. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. We need to talk about ideas. And meanwhile, there's no discussion because the left doesn't want to talk. Some of them do, but they're, but they're, they're a, they're a vocal minority. Yeah. They're, they are the, they are the least squeaky wheel in the room and no one's listening to them while everyone else is yelling and screaming for blood. And then we arrive at what we've seen in just the past few weeks, what I would argue is probably the, the most amount of escalation and advancement of this um, sort of this tidal wave of suppression and um, silencing. And that's with big tech. Um, and so I know you wanted to talk about this today. So why don't we start with kind of where, like, what's, what's, the, what's the stuff that rises to the top that you've seen so far that either that you had a, the biggest reaction to? It's, it's definitely not something that's a new thing. Right. It's, it's been bubbling for a while. It's getting ex- exponentially worse in the last, what, six months to a year? Yeah. Um, First thing that really perked my ears up about it was what happened to Count Dankula, um, Marcus Meacham, I think it is, in the uh, in Scotland, getting basically charged for what was a gross offense. Um, now, now just to, not to interrupt that. So now Count Dankula, he was the guy who trained his dog to do a sig heil to do to do because, a Nazi salute because he hated the pug, and it was his girlfriend's dog. And he wanted to mess with her. So he posted a video that was probably, no, 30 seconds to a minute long. And it got reported to the, God, what is, I, whatever their municipality is, um, got charged with a gross offense. Um, they said that context was irrelevant. And I do believe he still has, um, due payment that was originally eight hundred dollars fine. So he, so he was fined. He was fined and threatened with jail time, and neither have come to fruition yet. But and that might only be because there's been a little bit more of a of a a, a public eye mm, turned on the situation. Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, especially with um him uh campaigning for UKIP along with Carl Benjamin Sargon of Akkad. Right. Um, that probably helps them to some degree, uh, that they have so many followers and they, I mean, they can't be oblivious to the fact that they have a lot of people on their side, but that's what perked my ears up originally about like how screwed up it was getting. And then you see all the other with, uh, gross events over Twitter in especially the UK, um, people getting, you know, cited, fined, arrested, jailed. Um, but recently, um, the amount of shady things that they're doing 
uh, pulling down um, monetization for YouTube. Not a new thing, um, but pulling down whole channels and telling people if they do not remove videos that they have explicitly stated do not violate terms of service, but they find to be objectionable. Right. Then they they will pull down their channel if they don't get rid of those videos. And uh, Stephen Crowder is one of them. Right. Um, now, now, for anybody who doesn't know, so Stephen Crowder, I guess, is he would he considers himself to be a, uh, a a comedian. Yeah. And I would say he he basically runs. He works for the Blaze TV. Um, the the Blaze TV's organization is a little weird. Everybody's sort of like an independent contractor. Yes. Because you have Glenn Beck, and you also have uh, Mark Levin, and you had you used to have um. Uh, who was the guy? Help me out. Uh, who did uh, get off my lawn? Who was who? Uh, oh, uh, Gavin McGinnis. Gavin McGinnis. Okay. And so uh, Crowder is probably one of the largest, with the exception of Levin's radio audience. Crowder is probably the largest that has an yeah. online social media presence, and he runs basically his own sort of version of the Late Show. Yeah. Um, but it's actually funny and it's factually based. <laughs> so, um, I, I so I guess. It's, it's kind of hard where to start with some of this, but I think it's important to try and sort of pick apart what's what's taking place. Um, I guess a good place to start is is sort of at the beginning, and um, I want to kind of, the, the picture I want to paint for everybody is, is that what we're seeing right now is neither unprecedented nor um, unpredictable. It's it's not that this this level of tech censorship came out of nowhere. Now, you're absolutely right that this is nothing new. We, we have seen this taking place, but the reason why it has accelerated is because now um, the coast is clear that we, the, there have been enough instances where the tech companies have seen proof that they were able to take these actions and there was virtually no backlash yeah, from the general very public. emboldened by very, previous actions. Yes, yes absolutely emboldened. Um, you know, we could, we could talk about how, we are. It's good to point out this is that the the catalyst was probably the banning of Alex Jones. Yeah, almost definitely. And I and I absolutely agree with the assessment that that was a test case because he was both a very prominent uh, voice with it on social media. He's got millions and millions of followers, but he was also the least defendable. Yes, because in addition to Alex Jones talking about a number of very politically relevant things that were taking place in Washington, he's also telling people about how, you know, we live in a universe of 12 dimensions and how we have, uh, you know, there's all this satanic worship and, and just interdimensional child molesters. They're putting chemicals in the water to make the frogs gay. The list goes on, on things that, yeah, you know, whatever to a lot of people. Right. And, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to come right out and say that, um, I, I have absolutely no idea what's true anymore. And I mean that legitimately. Yeah, I really mean this legitimately, and if I and I think that it's so important, and in fact, I'm going to do my best not to get off on a tangent. But we even had very recently we had uh, a piece of news that came out that reminded me, and also should remind everyone else out there, of how biased the camera can be, and how we, um, we have this tendency to think because we can see something because we're visual creatures. Mm -hmm. If we see something with our own eyes, that we think we know what's happening. Yeah, it's just like old school magic. Exactly. Sleight of it, hand. It's always sleight of hand. And so I've gotten to the point where I, I have absolutely no idea what's real and what's not. 
unless I have seen it myself with my, unless I've seen it in person, um, I really don't know what to believe anymore. So I want to start, I want to start kind of, I want to pull everybody back because I think it's important to understand that this is not something that came out of nowhere. And it's not even something that came out of nowhere with respect to Alex Jones. Big, big tech censorship or censorship in general um, has been part of the radical progressive left's toolbox um, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to tell a really brief story about something that happened at my employer that I think will help kind of shed the light on the, the lies. And of course, what's the one con- the continuous message that you see from the big tech companies is we're all inclusive, that we are here for everyone, that we believe everyone is equal, that we believe in full, we believe in equity, that everyone should be on an even playing field. Um, and this notion is, is that they are open to all opinions. They are open to all forms of speech. And that's all a complete lie. And, and, I'll, and I'll, let me see if I can illustrate that for you. So uh, a few weeks ago, I was required to take um, training and to become certified. Oh boy, here yeah, we go. Here we go. I had to be certified to interview and hire at my employer. This was something they were doing in mass. And I knew exactly, I knew exactly what this was for. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was targeted um, uh, when I eventually attended the training, it was like the who's who of, of like my organization within the business. So th- it was not like, we, you know, I did not look around the room at some of these people and be like, well, oh, man, this is a room full of degenerates that, you know, that, that talk too loudly and have too much, too many opinions. Yeah. It was, it was a mass thing across the company. And of course they're talking about all these different aspects of the hiring process and how to improve it and how to improve rankings online and stuff like that. But I knew eventually we were going to get to the diversity hiring. Okay. We were going to get to the diversity hiring section. And I knew this was coming. And I got to tell you, it was both uncomfortable and contradictory because mm-hmm. talking about diversity with respect to your hires is you can't like, on the, you can't occupy the same position on both sides because on the one hand, considering someone's race, sex, sexual orientation, religion, uh, birthplace, citizenship status, all that stuff. That's all illegal. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a question of ethics or morals. It's against the law. And if somebody can prove that you took those factors into account with a hire, you can be sued. So on the one hand, they're like, well, we don't want anybody actually like doing this. But, but on the other hand, the, the notion of, of unconscious bias, like that phrase was actually used multiple times. And they really tried to soften it by uh, talking about unconscious bias as just simply an awareness that you might have a preference for people that have traits that match your own. And they're not. Oh, you mean people you might work well with? Well, well, for example, like, you know, uh, you might have a preference to hire somebody who grew up in the same town as you or someone who went to the same university mm-hmm. uh, or someone maybe who's into the same hobbies. And trying to be cognizant, cognizant of the where cognitive cognizance. I don't know. My words are cognizant. I am not using the words today (laughs) Uh, to be aware, to be conscious of the fact that you might um, have bias in favor of those or against those people. You know, maybe if you're, I don't know if you're a Yankees fan and you're somebody who likes the Red Sox, you know, maybe you'd be like, nah, dude, you can't have this job. Um, Those that's a real possibility. 
but but the thing is is that I could read the stitches on a fastball and I you could tell mm-hmm. like the for instance one of the things they talked about was and this is the, and, I, and this is the crux of, of where I'm getting to is in the process of this, this discussion they brought out these broad statistics claiming that companies companies that are more diverse have a higher level of performance and they actually had numbers it was like Companies that are diverse have a 20% higher performance. Like, first of all, that is, that doesn't mean anything. You know, performance can mean anything when the context of business. Um, and so essentially companies are more productive and they perform better and that they are more profitable if they are diverse. So, and it's this notion. So the, again, it's the, it's this multiculturalism. And this is where I think that you'll find sort of the root cause of what we're seeing today because the notion is, is that, well, we need to be multi, multicultural. We need to be all inclusive. Every culture needs to be put on an, ev- uh, on an equal playing field. And most importantly, the notion that every culture is the same in terms of whether it is a good or bad culture, whether it is ethical, moral, responsible, things of that nature. And you're constantly told, you're, you're fed this from the news media about the United States, about how um, you know, that when we talk about American exceptionalism, although I think everyone gets it wrong, it's about America being except in the exception in history in terms of mm-hmm. the vast amount of world history has, is filled with human suffering. And you don't see that here. Um, people think that American exceptionalism is about America being above all others. Now I happen to believe that despite all of the mistakes and some of the enormously bad decisions that we've made, and even some of our own um, stains on our own history, that by and large, this country has been a force for good and that we've done more good than we have harm. Mm -hmm. That being said, I would also say that the Western culture is definitely superior in a number of ways to a lot of other cultures across the planet, both in terms of how we treat each other, our, our legal system, our law system. Now, that doesn't mean it's perfect and doesn't mean that we are like super awesome. But if you look around, we're not tossing homosexuals off the top of buildings. We're not preventing women from being educated, holding jobs or driving cars. Um, you know, we're not intentionally turning children into, into soldiers and handing them AK-47s at the age of nine. And we are not running into crowded, you know, shopping malls in mass and with a, with a bomb vest and blowing ourselves up. You know, there's a number of, like, for example, the, the notion that all cultures are created equal is nonsense. Because, for example, I don't think anyone would say that the culture of North Korea is exactly the same as the culture of the United States. Not in terms of, not in terms of comparison, but in terms of the amount of good that the amount of, um, you know, positive influence that that culture has. Yeah. Okay. So to say that the culture of North Korea, which enslaves and indoctrinates its own people in a massive, uh, you know, garbage heap of oppression, or even the Ayatollahs in Iran that have their had they have their thumb on the on that country in terms of uh, the the impre- the oppression of their own people, mm-hmm. these cultures are not the same, and they are not all equally good. So I'm sitting here in this training, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this notion that we need maximum diversity. Okay. So for example, one of the initiatives of the company that I work for is we're very, very interested in hiring women. Now this is also sort of one of these things where they don't say it, 
but women at this company, like if you've got, if, if, if you've got the tatas and you've got equal qualifications with a man, the woman's going to get the job every time, yep. every time, because the company is interested in padding its, its diversity statistics. And they love reporting on uh, how the pay is equal between whites and minorities. Like they, oh, they openly talk about this stuff. They taught, they, I was in a company wide meeting where they were openly discussing their performance over the past year in terms of paying men and women and, and white, white people compared to everybody else. And they were even bragging about how within our industry, they had a lower population of certain minorities that are stereotypically better in our industry and how another minority group was actually of a higher percentage that is normally not. Like we're openly <laughs> talking about this stuff. Okay. Oh my God. So, so the bottom line with this was I'm thinking to myself, cause again, being very pro woman. Okay. Well, does that diversity also include people who are misogynist people who, who distrust women or people who are like, who think that, who think that the way that women should be treated is something synonymous with madmen? What about political diversity? Oh, political diversity Get too. Here. So I they mean, would lose their mind. What if we? What if we had somebody who openly thought that uh, they that they thought that you know that being homosexual was not only a sin but it was a sin that should be punishable by death? Is that is that somebody that <laughs> is that the kind of diversity that we should be hiring into the company that we should be inclusive of all of those perspectives? Well, of course the answer is no. You know. So the point is is that there is a culture that exists within the business and that culture has boundaries of in terms of the people that we're going to bring into it. Mm -hmm. So it's very disingenuous to make the claim that we're about all people because we're not, because clearly there's a line to be drawn. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as with, you know, we are accepting to all viewpoints except for then you throw in hate speech, right? Which has no definition. So they're free to define it. However they want to see as they see fit which happens to land on ideas they don't agree with. Right. Oh, just so they don't have to, they're the others. Just a, just a weird coincidence. Crazy. And so it's important to understand that from a multicultural perspective and from a perspective of diversity and equality that you get that, that all day long, you will hear the viewpoint that we are all inclusive, that we are open to all views, all and, and that diversity is our strength. Okay. Well, we know very clearly there are certain people with certain perspectives that will not make the cut. Mm -hmm. So to make that claim is a lie. And so now, and that's all that's within the multicultural sphere. So this philosophy has been apparent and present for a long time. And it's only now just manifesting itself within the, the online uh, social media sphere, because now it's acceptable to do so. I can you know, I wonder a lot if any of the social media companies have quotas that they're trying to meet for their demographics. Um, that is an interesting question. And some of the language that they've, well, for example, um, some of the comments that Google has made publicly <laughs> with respect to their artificial intelligence algorithms in displaying content via their search engine, it is entirely plausible that they have um, quotas in that regard. Yeah. Um, I'll have to search for the article, but one of the examples that was given is that, you know, 
even though the vast majority of the CEOs in America are men, if oh, you, yes, if you, exactly. yeah, if you search yeah. for CEOs in the images area, they pad the numbers with females just to make it all look diverse. Exactly. They want to provide an equal number of women and equal number of men, because God forbid you show an, you know, a disproportionate amount of men. So it's, but I mean, all of these have the, 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 the one thing, it's not just, the, it's not just social media. That is the danger, but it is also the search engine criteria because this is how people, on an average basis, in av- you know, your 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 you know your your average Joe, this is how they build their perceptions of the reality that's beyond what they experience. Like there's mm-hmm. there's really two there's really a there's probably more, but we'll just say that there's two you know sort of planes of of awareness. There is what you're aware of within your own life, the people, mm-hmm. you know, the places that, you know, things like that. And then there's everything beyond yourself. And we are dependent upon all of these electronic news medias and services to sort of paint that picture for us. But like you can imagine if you're trying to search for a particular fact on Google and that fact is hmm. contradictory to what they believe the public should be thinking about or what the public should know, you might have to sift through, you know, five, 10, 15 pages of search results in order to find uh, what you're looking for. I mean, like as a, without, without, you know, getting off, without getting off the sidetrack, um, I was looking for information uh, regarding, uh, there was a, 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 a mutual friend of ours who was making a comment to the fact that uh, he didn't think that people go from, uh, from robbing the, you know, the, the family dollar store straight to shooting cops and how, if somebody's robbing a, uh, you know, a, a dollar, you know, a dollar store that police should not respond with lethal force or threats of lethal force, because clearly it's just a petty crime. And I actually had to search through several pages of results because they were focused on a, on a more local issue and find, I found several results of people who robbed dollar stores. And in, in the midst of those robberies, people were shot and killed. It's like, you know, if so you're it's, carrying a gun. There's a wild possibility that if anything goes not according to their plan, that it may be used. Right. But it was just this this aspect that, you know, it, I'm not going to say that Google was censoring this aspect, but we know that dollar stores exist in more uh, areas that are that are more impoverished. And those impoverished areas tend to have people of certain ethnic and minority backgrounds. And, you know, those are the kinds of oh, we oh, we don't want to. We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to disproportionately show that crimes at dollar stores might happen in these areas. So we're instead, we're going to flood you with examples of where they happen somewhere else. It's It's, that kind of, it's that kind of equity. That's what they're talking about. It's like, you remember when Google put, went from purely algorithmic based searches to personalized searches. Right. Based on what you view and all your cookies and your search history. Mm Mm-hmm. And it got a little bit better then. And then I never saw the change until recently that now when you search something, do you ever find something easily that you were searching for? Um, Or is it just more of what you've noticed recently in that genre starts to pop up? I have, I have a hard time trying to find things that are like, I'll be looking for, I'll be looking for political news from like, say pre two thousand eight, mm-hmm. you know. So like, like I'll be look. I've had a really hard time trying to find news items. Um, some of it's like pre internet, you know. So like nineteen ninety six and earlier, which has always been fairly difficult. Yeah. But if you understood how to 
word your search is. You can usually dig it up, but throwing in quotes, site colons, still the old stuff that we used to use as power users on Google. Yeah. To really get things done are practically useless now. Yes. But I mean, but I would agree that that there are instances where I'll be searching for pieces of evidence that become really difficult to dig out. Mm -hmm. And there are other things that become very, that very easily bubble to the top. Um, so yeah, I would agree that that's, that's probably accurate. Yeah. It always seems to be recent hot topic stuff overrides what you're actually looking for. Sure. Yeah. Because they are related. Yes. But It's it's all it almost reminds me of you know 1984 when they'd send their finished documents off to be burned, and that's and and I mean I can't underscore how relevant that particular characteristic it's, of it's that story. It's almost like it's a playbook at this point. It, it it really is, and and you know the it while it's not a one to one comparison, it certainly rhymes, mm-hmm. and that to me is like we are we're approaching. We're approaching what I think is a precipice where one of a, one of a couple of things are going to happen. Um, I think there is a really strong case to be made that social media may actually move into the decentralized sphere where um, using not so much not so much necessarily blockchain technology, but maybe something in the neighborhood of that. I won't be surprised if you start to see an entity like Gab. Um, start to pop up, but doing so in a decentralized manner where you, I mean, imagine, imagine a, a, a Gab clone. And for anybody who's not familiar with what Gab is, it's essentially a complete open, open source, or a, it's a complete uh, free speech, uh, you know, platform that's very similar to, mm-hmm. to Twitter. And they were created as an, as an answer to the very censorship that we're talking about now where they are free speech absolutists. And I should, I should note that um, I have become a free speech absolutist. Like yep. I, I am at the point now where I think that you should be able, from a governmental and legal standpoint, you should be able to say whatever you want to say yep. about somebody in whatever form you want to say about them to them. And that it's, it's all fair game. It's all that I don't care. I toy with the idea whether or not, you know, the the old classic yelling fire in a crowded theater, like any of that stuff should actually be illegal at this point because dude, like it's, it's pushing to the point where like you give an inch, they take a mile on everything. Right. Where to the point where, I mean, I think that, I think that the only limitations that you can possibly place on speech at this particular instance are, are ones that we really already enforce, which is, you cannot be openly inciting violence. Like you, if someone can prove that you, that you, like if I say, you know, I, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, I think somebody should, I think, you know, I think, you know, if, if uh, I hope that Blair dies, you know, I hope Blair dies. But if I'm just like someone, you know, someone, or maybe a particular person needs to go kill Blair, like to me, like that's, no, because that's, we have laws against making threats and things like that. Right. So it's a very simple formula yeah but i mean otherwise like slamber and libel out like it's these it's these, already out there anyways how many how many cases can you think of relevant to this topic right you know our slander our libel right 
Well, because you and they because all fly from big companies too. It's not like it's a low profile like one on one, just talking to somebody thing. It these are all they have records on them. And it's and it's and the excuse usually is is that you become a public figure. So the notion yeah. is like, oh, you're a public figure now. So now you're so now you're completely. Uh, but that's off. broken at this point because you could consider everybody a public figure based on you know Facebook presence, Instagram presence, Twitter presence. The line's too blurry. Yeah, and some people don't even do it voluntarily. Right. So it's like you can invo- either it could be an involuntary, you know, um, the rise to public fame. Yeah. In, in a way that you know, I didn't ask for you. Know, I didn't ask for this. You Would know, we count people that were in stock photos for memes. Right. Yeah. It's a. You know the the um. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, bad luck, Brian, and and uh, what was the. Um, the uh, overly just, attached girlfriend. And, uh, yeah. What was the, um, I was just watching a video on that. The older guy who's just like smiling, but he looks depressed. Um, <laughs> oh yes. I know you're talking. Uh, I know, yeah, I know yeah. you're talking. I don't know his name though. He did a Ted talk. Did he it was, really? It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> it, it, talking about how he just like, I leaned into it. Yeah. It's, yep, it's you awesome. Just, that's all you could do. You know, you just yeah. have to, you just have to roll with it. But so, I mean, <laughs> This is this is such a crazy topic, and I think it would be. I think this is a good opportunity to talk about some of the things that have happened very recently. And I'm not going to get too in depth because this is all information that's very readily available. There's lots of people who have done some in depth analysis available I, for now. Yeah, for now, right? No, I mean we, you know, but seriously, we laugh about it. Yep, we laugh about it. But uh, we but were no, just talking about 1984. But, like, come on. But I mean, no joke. Like, so. Um, you know, so we start with we start with Alex Jones, mm-hmm. and I think what makes Alex Jones's situation unique is the fact that Jones was present on a lot of really big platforms. So he was on Facebook, he was on Twitter, he was on iTunes, he was on Spotify, he was on YouTube. So within a matter of six hours, within a matter of six hours, he was booted off of nearly every single platform mm-hmm. in a quite obviously coordinated effort between different companies. that's yes and see that's the thing is that is that you have a you have a very real grounds for an antitrust case mm-hmm. on the on the grounds of conspiracy mm-hmm. you you have a you have a case where several companies at least circumstantial evidence to suggest that there was a conspiracy to remove alex jones at virtually the same time now and then he was only left on itunes and on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And of course, then, you know, then, uh, then Jack comes out on Twitter and he's like, well, we're not going to ban him unless he violates the rules. And then a week later, he, ara- he harasses a CNN reporter. Alex Jones does in person, in person, not on Twitter in person. And then they're just like, you're gone. It's like, but Patreon did the same thing. Yes. Twitter's done it. Yes. I think YouTube's done it. Um, I, well, I don't know if they've done it across platforms on youtube but patreon specifically oh, yeah has, worse than twitter yeah patreon specifically was removing people's patreon accounts because of activities that were taking place on other platforms so they see something on another platform that they find objectionable that doesn't technically violate their tos because mm-hmm. it's not on their platform but they're like you know what you're gone anyway so the rules don't matter that's yeah. and well, and it's not even just social media platforms that have done this. Correct. Chase, JP Morgan, yes. uh, MasterCard, uh God, there was some PayPal. PayPal's another one. Yeah. 
Uh, we're, even, we're talking about financial institutions doing this and payment methods. And 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 uh, to add to that, it was also Coinbase. Yep. So this this is also something like this is touched into the crypto sphere. And the reason why I feel like that is a canary in a coal mine is because the entire basis of Bitcoin is that is an, it is immutable. Mm-hmm. The idea of the currency is that no one, no entity or group of entities can prevent you from possessing it and from spending it and using it. Mm-hmm. And Coinbase being a crypto-based company, a what, what they refer to as a fiat on-ramp, where you take your fiat mm-hmm. currency and you buy yeah. crypto with it, the fact that they were shutting down accounts of other people, to me, is a, is a massive danger sign that you, you know, that you're not, you're not safe unless, unless you are like exclusively in cryptocurrency. And even Mm -hmm. then you might find some exchanges Mm -hmm. that end up booting you off. Um, and although it's not really privy to this topic, the, the, the scary thing within the crypto sphere is a lot of the exchanges are bowing to, um, us regulatory pressure and they're forcing us customers to exist exclusively on exchanges for us-based customers where of course there's all this tracking available and nonsense mm-hmm. like that um that's a little that's a little non sequitur but so all just you're absolutely right that it's not just social media because that could be a very easy argument it's like well you know it's just social media and it's no big deal well there's two problems with that one obviously it doesn't stop there but two and more importantly there are a number of people who are being booted off these platforms where their entire business is ran from these platforms. YouTube yep. being a really good example, but, yep. but you could certainly say that people use Twitter as a way of making money as well. Patreon, um, PayPal, let's go down the list. Right, man. and the payment processors are, are most definitely uh, a major aspect. So this, again, goes back to the basic, uh, the, the basic attitude that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which is the left is no, like they are no longer interested in discussion or debate. Because they have self-radicalized. It's just, well, and it makes perfect sense that they go after payment. Well, it's it's the, they're going and, right for the jugular. Anything monetary, of course, it plays right into their viewpoint. If you if you cut off the ability for people to make money, then they either have then they either have no means of exercising the speech that they have, or they have they have to go find a job somewhere else. Well, even more so than that. employers having employees to them to the far 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 extreme that's slavery oh sure it it to the like hardcore marxist viewpoints it plays perfectly they don't even believe that they should have the money in the first place oh i see oh i see what you're saying yeah. oh that's interesting see the idea is it's like well too bad but you know you technically you shouldn't even be doing this anyway because you're just you're just a slave to the to the but existing but it's okay i'm allowed to have it still Right, right. Well, that's, yeah, it's always... You can't, but I can. And I think that that's, I think that's an important, like the, I, you know, as upset as we can be about the situation, history has shown us one thing very clearly, and that is, is that as long as these organizations, these radical organizations, and even these tech companies in particular do not have an end game, it will never stop, which mm-hmm. means eventually the snake's going to eat its own tail. Yeah. And eventually, and in fact, it's already happened. There's already been a number of, of leftists that have been snared by YouTube's demonetization policies. Yes. And it's only going to continue to the point where, and it's getting really bad lately too. Yes. 
So especially with anything politics related, left or right, right, where they're center. just going after everybody. Yes, and the there's going to be a lot of people on the left that are going to find themselves being victims. It's going to be too late. Number one, because it'll already be too late to turn back the tide. But number two, you're going to have people like me, like I'm not going to care at that point. Like, why should I waste my time defending somebody on the left who is victimized essentially by their own philosophy? I'm going to let them burn. Yeah. Because right now as from my standpoint, the only way people are going to see that they, that the dangerous games that they are playing with these large tech conglomerates is if they see them, the very monster that they create needs to turn on them and eat them Yeah, before they're going to go, gosh, this probably was not a good idea. But because they're so short-sighted, oh, I always go back to 2013 with the speech that Harry Reid gave, who was, the, who was the leader of the Senate at the time, where he had nuked the filibuster because they wanted to shove through a bunch of Obama's judicial appointments and the Republicans were filibustering them, preventing them from going through, which... I might add, was a tactic the Democrats first started using during the Bush administration. So mm-hmm. it was tit for tat. Yeah. Um, and it cost them a Supreme Court seat because eventually when Republicans took control and everyone was warning Reed, they're like, dude, this is not a good idea. You were opening Pandora's box of abuse of this circumstance and he like did not care. And what happened? Well, the Senate flipped Republican and, you know, by 2014 when they were in full control and when uh, it came time for judicial appointments, they blocked Obama's appointment of Merrick Garland and then Trump took over and then we got Kavanaugh and they killed the filibuster with Kavanaugh and it was a straight 51-49 vote. So the reason why I think that's important is, is that it's, it's important to understand that the left, because they operate from a position of emotion and not rational logic, they do not have the ability to see five or six moves ahead. Right. And right now, because the censorship is predominantly only happening with conservatives, the, the notion is that they're going to be safe. When in fact, it's entirely possible that as the radicalization continues to ramp up, these companies could very well start turning their sights on virtually anybody mm-hmm. that doesn't somehow fit within their, their chosen paradigm of how the world should look. And I, I did want to, I wanted to briefly mention two things um, that come from some recent articles. I want to go back very quickly to the fact that we have people on the right who don't understand, like, like this is the red alert moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, the issue that we recently had with Project Veritas exposing one of the Google executives with whom I will read quotes just so anybody who's listening to the podcast is uncertain about what specifically was said and that what was alleged to have been taken out of context. Um, This is a red alert moment because now you have a video exposing the behaviors of Google and then Google actually taking the videos down on their own platform. And it, essentially it's now the Barbara Streisand effect. The, the, the act of trying to hide the, the, the exposing video mm-hmm. not only makes it wildly more popular, mm-hmm. but proves that there is something incredibly damaging about that video so much so that they would rather risk 
the backlash of removing it than allowing it to continue to exist in cyberspace for, you know, for, for all of eternity. And I go to David French, um, who is over at national review and David French is mostly, I believe a self-identified, uh, anti-Trumper. And, Oh, I don't know if I want to go too much into, into my anti-Trump tirade, but essentially there was a point in time where I was not going to vote for the president. Um, and I made some decisions and decided to vote in, in to vote for him for reasons that I've covered in other podcasts. But the thing about anti-Trumpers is they, they're constantly falling back on principles. And I can, res- I can respect that because I'm a person of principle. And I feel that those are really, really important when it comes to your politics. However, principle doesn't mean shit if you don't win. If you right. don't win, like, I don't know, like, and essentially the anti-Trumpers are, are, are hoping and praying that their principles will keep them warm at night when they are left out in the cold while the winners have taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't actually enforce your principles if you don't occupy office, period. Well, you've got two ways to play it. Either you sacrifice some of your principles for quote unquote, the greater good, I guess you'd call it, but it, it, it's a sort of win. Yes. A better odds one way than another, or you go down to martyr. Right. And your legacy is lived out afterwards, but there's no guarantee that you're going down a martyr. No, not at all. And in fact, there's, you know, for, I would argue that you're, you stand a significantly greater chance of going down is not being remembered for anything. Yeah. And, and so that's the position that the anti-Trumpers are kind of occupying at this moment in time is that they're banking on the fact that history is going to somehow remember them fond, fondly and favorably. And I, I'm here to argue that history won't remember them at all. People like David French are going to fade into the background and French is a, is a well-known conservative columnist. And I want to, here's, here's something that he said that I think emphasizes how disconnected the anti-Trumpers are from just how serious the problem really is and how winning might actually be a little bit more important. It's, it's a question of, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah. And uh, I can certainly empathize with the people who want to be right, but I, but it I would. It feels good to be right. It feels good to be right, but, but that does not, that's, you know, but when. Long-term wins are usually through sucking it up. And in this case, being right often means, in the context of politics, being right means is that there's got to be some form of disaster mm-hmm. in order to be like, see, I told you so. But that doesn't really, doesn't really help people out. So there was an article, this actually is coming from the Federalist.com, but the quote is from the, uh, something that, uh, that David French wrote um, on National Review. And this is in regards to the Stephen Crowder com- uh, controversy. Now, very, very briefly, what happened with Stephen Crowder is the fact that Crowder has... He's he's had a, a real love of uh, critiquing the folks over at Vox. Yeah, among other people, but especially. But especially Vox, because the stuff they put out is just ridiculous. Like, factually, like, full holes to the point where it's like a block of Swiss cheese, man. I mean, like, it's so easy. It's like it's, kicking... It's a, not even Swiss cheese. It's bereft. Yeah, it's like... It's, it's, it's really like kicking a kid in a wheelchair. It's not even... Yeah. It's really not even fun, but it just has to be... <laughs> but in the political context, it has to be done. And so um, one person in particular over at Vox is a, is a commentator named Carlos Maza. 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 And um, while Carlos is not the only person that works at Vox, 
um, his videos on Vox's YouTube channel by far are the highest views. Yes. Of the entire channel by a mile. He's he's his his videos consistently get over a million views, and most of the other Vox videos are are two to three hundred thousand, if that. Mm-hmm. So, what happened was is that Crowder's done a series of videos debunking to a massive degree the things that Carlos has said in some of his videos, and because Carlos has openly brought his sexuality and his and his Latino heritage, but that that's one thing that's gone the way of the dodo is playing you know politics close to your chest sexuality close to your chest religion close to your chest nobody does that anymore well now it's because it's it's seen as a as a factor of someone's identity Mm -hmm. and as a way to differentiate themselves from everyone else even though you you there's you're a unique individual as you are and that's sort of the joke because it's all part of that intersectionality and the truth is the ultimate the ultimate minority is the individual Mm -hmm. like western civilization figured this out hundreds of years ago. And that's why the individual, that's why you have a hundred senators. That's why you have two senators per state. Like the individual is reigns supreme within the American system of government. Mm -hmm. And even, even to the detriment of the, of the mob of the, of the majority. Mm -hmm. And it's done for a reason because we've recognized that they're the ultimate, they're the ultimate uh, minority. Um, But here's, here's David French's take on what happened with Steven Crowder. He says, here's the blunt truth. However, most red Americans either don't know or don't care about social media censorship. They certainly don't care enough to delete their apps. This isn't a market failure. It's a market verdict. Apathy rules. And this apathy is sustained in part because social media companies have chosen their targets carefully. There are few normal Americans who want to jump off their favorite app because YouTube censored someone who uses the phrase like quote, lispy queer end quote or because Facebook ditched Alex Jones, a man who claimed the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax. Now, I should add that he's come out multiple times and and recanted that statement. Yes. Um the thing there's two parts, there's two things about David French's comments that I wanted to point out. Number 1, I do think that he grossly underestimates the amount of people who are concerned about censorship, but most importantly, the second thing is is that French is confusing um people's concern with them deleting their apps. So it's, it's muddy waters, but y- you are correct on that. You, you can be concerned. You can be quite concerned, in fact, about social media censorship and not delete their apps. And I know that because I fall into that category. Well, you can be concerned about dying in a car crash, but it doesn't stop you from driving. Precisely. And so I feel like it's enormously disingenuous to make the claim that if you were really serious about social media censorship, that you would just stop using all of your applications. And it's like, you know, in my case, I rely on YouTube, you know, as a way of earning money in, in some cases, you know, so it's like if I was to be like, you know what, I'm just going to close down my business that I've worked for years to build and build because YouTube censored people. Well, I also like making money. So these are the kinds of compromises we all have to make. Mm-hmm. And as an, but I mean, I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore. Mostly, excuse me, mostly because I'm not uh, very happy with how Facebook has its tentacles in all of Android's operating systems and how, you know, there's all this data sharing that's going on that I didn't give permission, nor am I even privy to. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I'm under the impression that you can't even technically delete Facebook from Samsung's uh, Android phones, even though I have. But, you know, there's reason to believe that it, it, it might even still be there. I don't know. So there's a number of people like French that don't appreciate they, like they are a frog at a boiling hot plate and they do not realize that they are moments away from being killed. Mm-hmm. And 
So that's that's definitely something that is quite concerning. Now, where the whole thing kind of sort of blew the lid off was with this Project Veritas video in which they found, they essentially um, did an undercover recording of a Google executive. And this woman in particular, I'm just trying to find her, uh, her information here for you. But she's essentially in charge of one of the artificial intelligence programs. And she was artificial intelligence, like some sort of responsibility or some BS synergy. Yeah. So, so, uh, Jen, uh, is it, I think it's maybe it's Jenny G E N N A I. I'm so bad with butchering people's names. Probably Janai. Janai. Well, we're going to go with Janai. And if it's wrong, sorry, everybody. Uh, so Jen Janai is the head of responsible innovation. You know, in fact, it's so funny because all these agencies within Google sound like Orwellian shit. Yeah. Responsible. Yeah. Like, so the only way that you need to, the way you critique all of this is understand that the name implies the exact opposite in its execution. So responsible innovation, it's irresponsible innovation. <laughs> so the head of responsible innovation for Google, a sector that monitors and evaluates the responsible implementation of artificial intelligence technologies in the video, Janai says Google has been working diligently to diligently to quote prevent end quote the results of the 26 elect 2016 election from repeating in 2020. So there's that's the, that's sort of like the, the money shot of this particular video. And this is what she said. This is a, this is a direct quote from the video. We all got screwed over in 2016. Again, it wasn't just us. It was the people got screwed over. The news media got screwed over like everybody got screwed over. So we're rapidly been like, what happened there and how do we prevent it from happening again? And I think she described it as the Trump situation. Yes, it was referred to as the Trump situation. So another quote here, we're also training our algorithms like if 2016 happened again, would we have, would the outcome have been different? So in the course of this discussion, what she's referring to is they have been using machine learning and artificial intelligence with their their personalized responses with search criteria as a way of well, they they are they argue it's a way of establishing equity, but as I mentioned, the idea is, you know, if you have mostly predominantly men CEOs, they show a lot of women as a way of demonstrating equality. Mm-hmm. But but essentially, Google is trying to paint a picture of how the the world should be, um, and avoid in in instances where they think it should be certain a certain way, and they are avoiding, um describing it or as, as it is. So the Trump situation refers to where the conversation turned towards Elizabeth Warren, because Elizabeth Warren Warren has been advocating for breaking up these tech conglomerates such as Facebook and Google under antitrust laws. And this is the comment that was, that Janai made says Elizabeth Warren is saying we should break up Google. She said, referring to the Massachusetts Democrats wish to break up big tech. The senator wants to improve, impose new tech rules, blah, blah, blah. This is what she said. And like, I love her, but she's very misguided. Like that will not make it better. It will make it worse because all of these smaller companies who don't have the same resources that we do will be charged with preventing, now pay attention, preventing the next Trump situation. It's like a small company can't do that, Janai said. Holy shit. 
I mean, dude, I, you know, my rhetorical question, how much more proof do people need? How much more proof do people need that Google is, is, and we just spent the last two and a half years listening to the Democrats as they discover Russian agents under their bed, in their closets, in their shower, in the trunks of their cars, in the attic. They saw Russian interference everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they were accusing the president of the United States of being a Russian asset and how Russia interfered in our, in our elections to such a degree that somehow over 50% or 50% of the country, roughly because, you know, he didn't win the popular vote, um, were somehow duped into voting for this man through this Russian interference. We've choked on this for two and a half years, and there was zero proof that interference was effective. There was interference. Russians interfered in our elections. We interfere in other people's elections. That's beyond dispute, if you ask me. You have a Google executive who openly states that breaking up Google would be stupid because smaller companies would have less resources and being charged with preventing the next Trump situation and how they simply can't do that. I, I mean, it, it is not, unless, I mean, unless you're looking for like a, a full-blown confession, that is as close as you're going to get to somebody saying, yes, we are intentionally trying to interfere in the U.S. election to prevent the re-election of Donald Trump. So when did we start reclassifying them as a pack? Mm. That's an interesting idea. I'm pretty sure. Because it seems to me that almost everything a lot of these bigger tech companies do, especially Google, are being funneled into affecting changes that they want in the political processes and societal processes. I'll, I'll take, I'll take it one step further and, and just simply, I mean, I know that pointing out hypocrisy on with the radical left is like a futile, uh, a futile endeavor, mm-hmm. but I should point out that many leftists wrongfully so, because they're just simply uneducated in, on this matter. Um, if you ask them how they feel about the citizens United Supreme Court case, they will all tell you that they are 100% against it because businesses should not have the ability. Well, essentially, the argument is that corporations are not people. Well, I'm here to tell you that they are. <laughs> in order for it, 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 basically, the deal is in, in, in my, uh, the, I guess the simplest way to explain it is if you're not a person, then you don't pay taxes. So, unless people are interested in corporations not paying taxes, like, I mean, we know they don't already pay taxes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's by stripping the legal requirements for corporations to pay taxes. If you want to not designate corporations as people, if you want to strip that away, then you need, you need to be comfortable with the fact that they don't pay taxes ever. <laughs> so I'm here to tell you they are people and, that, and you can like, we'll know when robots become people when they start paying taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that the Democrats and, 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 and the progressive left are so staunchly against Citizens United that they don't believe that corporations should have the ability to exercise any kind of political speech, Hmm. including giving money to candidates. And yet we have this right here. 
So, so we see time and time and time again where the opposition to the behavior of corporations extends only as far as the corporations is politics. As long as they have the right politics, which in the case of Google, the left would say they do, then this is perfectly acceptable because all I hear is my private company. That's all I hear from, from people on the left is mm -hmm. my private company. Well, they're a private company. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, isn't it fascinating that wait, wait, all wait, hold of on. my private company, do you own stock in them? Oh, right. Yeah. Do you <laughs> Are you saying you own stock? But it's just that it's, it's that, well, they're, you know, they're, they're a private company and they can do what they want. And I'm thinking, oh, so, so now corporations can do what they want. Yeah. Oh, see, that's funny because I don't recall that being an argument with respect to the minimum wage, where the left has continuously decided it's up to them to dictate what the minimum price of labor is. I don't recall that with any of the um, any, any any of the union organizing or the massive lawsuits over contraception, where people were upset that Hobby Lobby out of the 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 twenty five available types of contraception that are available that they didn't support four of them. And that was a lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court because how dare they make decisions about what kind of health care they're going to provide to their employees? You mean that they're going to pay for? Oh, specifically, yeah, that they would pay for it precisely. I mean, people were free to get that shit on their own. But I mean, every time you see corporations behaving in a way that offends leftists, they're either legislating in a way or they're trying to sue it away through the court system. But suddenly, suddenly when Google is openly banning and demonetizing conservatives. And you see people stepping in going, oh, hey, this is not okay. We see the left going, oh, no, no, no. Corporations can do what they want. They can, they're a private company. You, you, you don't have any right to tell them how to run their platform. And it's like, that does not fit with any of these social and economic pieces of legislation that we have on the books today. I mean, the tax code alone should be enough to show that the left has absolutely no problem with telling businesses how to spend their money, how to, how to be taxed. I mean, every opportunity they've had to dictate how corporations and businesses will behave, they've taken, except this one. Now, I'm not saying that the solution is to legislate, but it's, oh. it's complete blanket hypocrisy. I'm so torn at this point on whether or not we should break up big companies like this. It's... Well, it's... And and I can see both sides. I mean, on the one yeah. hand, on the one hand, the government's the only entity big enough to step in and be like, you guys are done. You guys yeah. are done. We're breaking up Alphabet. You're going to be all your own separate companies. You're too big. You're too powerful because now it's become the digital version of the public square. But at this point, would it even work? Look at all the, the backdoor stuff that they've done with banning people. You think they still wouldn't share and work together? That, well, that's the thing. As I don't, you know, the, the most recent sort of antitrust situation that, that really we have to draw from is the, the breakup of, of AT&T and MCI. So you got to go. MCI still around? Uh, probably not. But I mean, you have to go all the way. You have to go all the way back to the 1980s with, with the telecom giants in order to even get close to. Yeah something that was so massive and had and had so much control that they had to be broken up and i might add that situation that situation was kind of a shit show as it was too because then you had you had the baby bells and you had the the general i mean it was like even that ended up being a giant mess and of course not to not to get too far off on a tangent but 
um, after that breakup took place. And then you fast forward to around 1999 to 2000 with changes in legislation with telecom companies that eventually caused the telecom bust mm-hmm. because they changed the rules. So they, so that's the problem. But my concern really is if the government steps in and starts breaking things up, my concern is, is that now, or, or regulates, this is the other thing too, is the regulation portion. The, the government has absolutely no incentive for people to be able to speak freely on the internet. If anything, they want it shut down Yeah. because if politicians could avoid uh, being scrutinized, which essentially like citizens United was about the suppression of free speech during politics, because at the time people might not realize this, but there was a, the McCain Feingold legislation, which was about campaign finance reform. One of the big items about the McCain Feingold legislation was that you could not spend money on political ads 90 days out from an election. So the government said you are banned from spending your own money on political ads 90 days before an election. Well, that's a violation of free speech. You don't get to tell people how to like where they can and can't talk. And that was one of the things that was addressed in Citizens United was that was considered to be unconstitutional. So the government does not have a vested interest in you being able to speak your mind. It wants, it is a vested interest in you shutting the fuck up. Yeah. So if the government gets control of social media, not only is there, of course, an increased incentive with the mine, the data mining of your information, which it would love to have and probably does. I'm sure it does. <laughs> but also they'll be in control of that apparatus. Why would the NSA need to run their operation that they had in Utah anymore? Oh, because because we've all voluntarily given our information. It's a giant waste of money when all these other companies will do it for you. I just I I think that um I don't know. I think that I think that they don't it, it's it's I think that the NSA is like the they're like the digital they're like the digital version of some of the people you see on hoarders. Yeah. Like they don't Oh, it, that was obviously the case. They can't they like they can't really explain why they're hoovering up the data except under the guise of national security which, you know, of course, Jesus. doesn't mean yeah. anything anymore. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure which, which bathroom I choose to use at any given time could be, I could make a case for why that has a national security implication. Um, so I think, I, well, <laughs> they don't know why they want the data, or at least they don't publicly uh, emphasize why they want the data. I think that it's really coming down to, it's a race against time. They're hoping that they're waiting for the the level of artificial intelligence that will be necessary to actually um, turn that data into something useful. And if anybody who works in the tech industry will understand, there is a vast difference between it's like, it's a digital version of the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You know, right now we have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of data, Yep. but there's so much we've, we've, there's so much information that's out there that no human being or group of human beings in their lifetime could ever possibly sift through it to something meaningful, which is why, the NSA is really good about providing a data trail of information on a particular individual after something has happened. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that like when, if there's a terrorist attack in the United States within 12 hours, it's like the police know almost virtually everything there is to know about this person, where they live, what their opinions are, who they're, you know, they know everything. And that's because they're hoovering up all this information. And so once they have a target, they have all of this data available that they can use against you. They know mm-hmm. they know the porn sites that you're looking at. They know what kind of porn you prefer. They know whether or not you like small children, everything. Mm-hmm. However, 
what they really want is they want to be able to have that level of granularity into your life without having you do something. They want to know before you do something. And I think that that's social media would certainly play an enormous big step with that because you can imagine, I mean, and this is not going to be science fiction much longer, but you can imagine a giant artificial intelligence apparatus, like within Google, for example, that would be able to correlate and, and collate every aspect from your social media posts to where you're spending your money, to your location data, to who was at that location. And, and if a, an AI is able to piece these things together, suddenly you have a flag. Mm-hmm. You were at this location with this person who has a known criminal history. You went to this store. You purchased this weapon with your credit card. Uh, your social media posts have taken a negative connotation. Like, here's here's something that'll tie into this. So I'm at this. So I'm at this this hiring training, right? And they talk about how they're using a a service that's an artificial intelligence service for doing all of our um, job descriptions. And because they're concerned that our job descriptions uh, are too masculine and therefore they, <laughs> you guys can't see the level of eye roll that is coming on out of Blair's face, but they are, but they are the, this, the system will detect whether or not you're using terms that are overly offensive or um, that will scare women and whether or not you're using uh, terms that might offend other ethnic minorities or other cultures. I can tell you right now, I, 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 all of the above. Exactly. And, and everybody I work with can tell you that too. Yeah, exactly. And so we were told that we needed to use, um, this service to ensure that, uh, and, and it'll, you know, of course it shows recommendations and changes and stuff like that. So we already have the capability of parsing human speech. All these things just need to come together mm-hmm. and then someone needs to step in and seize it what was the and name start of using it as a weapon. Where, it was so revolutionary, but it has like the half like human brain, like robot that predicts future crimes. It predicts future crimes. Yeah. They were going on the screen. Like you're talking about minority report. There you go. Well, that was, and that That's was just missing link. Yeah. And, well, and they've and got all the data we've talked. They've talked pretty extensively about a minority report style of law enforcement uh, and how that would sort of be like one of the most epic, dystopias of America that we could imagine from a law enforcement perspective where they're like, well, we know that you were going to go and do X, Y, and Z if we hadn't stopped you. And so we're going to incarcerate you for a crime that you didn't commit, but you would have committed had we not intervened. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the whole aspect about minority report, which was one of the beings that could see into the future sometimes disagreed with the others about what the future actually would have been. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what they called the minority report. And so if there was any possibility whatsoever that the future could have been different, it, the whole system unravels. And the same is true here. I mean, the, uh, you know, so we're the, the thing about this, about the censorship aspect is, well, this is a huge situation all by itself. It is just one of many pieces that we see moving about the chessboard where you have different forces that are attempting to gain control of the internet as a way of influencing and manipulating people either to shut up about certain things that they're doing um, or to give the impression that certain opinions and perspectives are much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, and that goes back to the, to the Trump win in 2016 in general is the reason why everybody on the left was so shocked about Trump winning is not because there was some kind of grand conspiracy by Russia 
to influence and interfere with our elections and how they were effective. It was the fact that they're isolated in some of these big cities that literally have people shitting on the sidewalks all over the place that you have homeless strewn about everywhere where you have people doing drugs, heroin, shooting and, and like smoking crack in public spaces open for everyone to see. Mm-hmm. And they all live there in this, in this bubble and they just don't understand how the rest of the country thinks. And so the only option at this point is as opposed to, you know, being, being truly tolerant of other people's opinions and allowing people to go on Twitter and say whatever they want to say, which is what they're supposed to do. Uh, they're openly advocating for and, and cheering these, these tech conglomerates to be publishers. And that's, that's the, from a legal standpoint, that's the dangerous thing because it, you know, a publisher is legally liable for the things that are published on their platform. And a, and a publisher is like the New York times. Well, the very thing that they want would break them up. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. I mean, and, and they don't, it's, it's, I gotta, I have to like, I gotta give a, a hat tip to my, to my mom on this one. She, she, I remember she contacted me some time ago and she saw, it was like the Zuckerberg, I think it was when Zuckerberg was testifying before Congress. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he has no idea what he's doing. No. And it wasn't like, he wasn't even aware of how he looked in the, how he looked like a how he looked like an android. <laughs> it's you really expect them to be aware of other people when they can't even be self aware. Yeah, that's that's actually very true. But but I would say even Jack, um, he he kind of he dem, they him and Zuckerberg both have something very strange in common, and that they both display this really sort of childish naivete about what their platforms do. Like yeah. they they both really think that their platforms are about connecting people together and about, um, about, you know, creating this, this global community. And they have all these positive attributes that they assign to them. And in this case, one of the things that my mom was reacting to was all of these publications showing how these like sort of like basement dwelling, no named uh, countries across the globe have been using Facebook to manipulate their population through actual fake news by purchasing Facebook ads and uh, news space um, and distributing propaganda to their populations Mm -hmm. in order to influence what people think is real and not real and how, so Facebook is, so Facebook is in this weird position where people are gaming the system because the government, because governments have access to stacks of cash Mm -hmm. that people do not. Um, even though I, I, I know and have worked with people who manage ad campaigns and they spend, you know, 30 to $40,000 a month on an ad campaign is like not an unusual thing. Yeah. But when governments have access to millions and millions and millions of dollars, it's not, it's a drop in the bucket and they don't even have to rely on their own, you know, state news media. They just get on Facebook and they, they purchase a bunch of ad space. They spread a bunch of propaganda articles and their population reads it because Facebook's own advertising engine, like that's exactly like the whole platform is designed to hoover up your information, categorize you appropriately, and then give that categorization to advertisers so they can market to you directly. And this is why I've always liked 
programs, uh, websites, applications, whatever, that let you personally micromanage all the settings. Right. Because when all that stuff's behind a closed door, you don't know how anything works. No, not at all. But in this case, we know that that Facebook's real use in a number of places across the world mm-hmm. isn't disseminating propaganda. And so, but Zuckerberg is like, he just, oh, we're just really about bringing people together. And it's, and so it's this, it's this naiveness, um, but they think they're in control of their own platforms and they're not. And what, so some of this censorship, in my opinion, is like, they're sort of, I don't know. It's like, it's sort of like the last few desperate thrashes that somebody who's dying mm-hmm. will engage in. Yeah. As a as an instinctive sort of last ditch effort to try and free yourself from the clutches of death. Yeah. And I really feel like that's what we're seeing where, yeah, you, of course they can emphasize, they can exercise control over conservatives because, you know, we're not spending necessarily millions of dollars on ad revenue. Um, but the truth is, is that they're just having a hard time coming to grips with the fact that the pl- they've lost control of their platforms. Well, I, I think, Zuckerberg is wildly unaware and will never be aware of what is going on with his company. Uh, remind me who is the name of the CEO of Twitter? Uh, well, it's well, uh, Jack Dorsey's the face face, but he's okay. like, he's got a weird, I think he's more aware than any of the other. I think like, the faces of a company. Yeah. I think that, and I, and I think that the, the and I think that was made especially obvious during the JRE podcast with uh, Jack Dorsey uh, whatever her uh, the name of the lawyer the, yeah, that the, was with him. Was. The the please tell me please tell me if I can say this attorney. Yeah, uh, <laughs> help Tim me, help Cole me, help me. And Joe Rogan, I think it was made especially clear that he's aware of it, but I, I would be willing to say that he has no idea how deep the rabbit hole goes. Right, I, and I, it's almost like or how to correct it at all. It's entirely possible that Jack Dor- that Jack Dorsey might actually exercise ignorance on purpose. Whereas you Zuckerberg, know, he, he actually might. Um, it's like just don't don't tell me what you're doing. Like just don't tell me. I don't want to know. You know, just like like to the point where he's just like la 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 la. Like he's intentionally he seems aware enough to where he could have been saying all those things about yes, we uh, over policed this situation or whatever, uh, just to seem more aware of how to fix a situation instead of his actual intention of not wanting to fix anything. And yeah, like we don't total ca- speculation, but it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, exactly. Because he seems like he is cognizant enough to actually do that. Whereas Zuckerberg, I have no doubt that he actually thinks that it's all rainbows and unicorns. And that's, and that's something that that's the massive danger is the fact that the, the heads of these companies truly believe that they're in control but they're not, they're not in control of their platforms. They're not in control of how they're being used. And the attempts to be a publisher will only result in everybody being dissatisfied. Like you're never going to take the company. Yeah. You're never going to take an action from the perspective of a publisher that is going to, um, that where, where all sides will be like the thumbs up. Yep. That was good. That was a good idea. You're always, going to benefit someone at the expense of somebody else. Well, here's one way to think about it is how much going a publisher way 
would kill them. Let's say that Gab held to their guns and went full blown free speech. You can do literally whatever you want on our platform. Right. And they went paid model. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I'd be willing to pay for that. Sure. Yeah. I know there's a lot of people that have been deplatformed on all the other platforms that would be fine with that. Yeah. All the people that are swinging for Twitter's side and them being able to censor whatever they want. Do you think they'd pay for that? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you had access to a free and open space, yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, but if they went to their current path and they censored, yeah, well, if they do you if, think all the like hard, hard lefties that are gunning for them doing what they're doing would be willing to pay for it? Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, no, they no, because at the end of the day, I mean, and you know, it's yeah, there's there's no way that they would end up paying for any type of that, that, that type of service. And there's but there's no need to because the point is, is that you're the product. Yeah. Um, I think that there's. Something that's in, that I find kind of interesting that I would like to point out is the behavior. Now, this has probably got to do a lot more with YouTube, but you we have you can tell that we have entered a strange portion of the twilight zone when we have capitalistic companies that are intentionally engaging in behavior where they deny themselves profits. Yeah, all for political expediency. Yeah. Um, in, in your, in a traditional capitalist economy, businesses are fairly predictable in terms of what they will do. Right. Their job is to make money. Now, of course, there's all sorts of other platitudes such as, you know, giving to charity and helping employees. And there's all sorts of things that as a business owner, you have the power to do when you but become those successful are all in the, to further making more money. Of course. Yeah. Because it, they're making a better public image of themselves, which will bring more people to them. Right. Or, you know, increasing satisfaction among your employees as right. in order to make them more productive. Everything is in the service of making more money. Right. And I'm here to say that that's okay because in the process of that pursuit, you're going to improve a lot of lives. You're right. going to create products that people want to buy. You're going to change people's lives and innovate. Um, but in this case, all of a sudden we have all these companies and YouTube in particular, where they are intentionally foregoing revenue as a way of exercise, where they're placing their own political activism above profiting. So yeah. in the case of YouTube, with, with, the, with the aforementioned adpocalypse. Well, this one or the last one? Well, it really both. <laughs> all um, of them. I would say all of them, but, but this one in particular, mm -hmm. for sure, um, where YouTube has just decided that they're going to start demonetizing videos from, from uh, creators. And we're talking videos that are making millions and millions of views. Mm -hmm. Well, look at Verit Project Veritas's video. That was at what, a million and a half? Yeah, it was about a million, million and a half before they took it down. And how, so it was like a million, a million and a half eyeballs. Now, there is, there is a piece of context that I haven't discussed yet that I think that people need to sort of add to the, to the overall picture here. Each... Think of this as just in each individual layer, adding a lot more color and contrast to it to to the same picture that you're looking at. I think I think that when you distill this down to the root cause, and I mean when like the real political divide that exists within the country, I think that when we have the hindsight of history to look back, you're going to see that the news media, the legacy news media, were not only the originators but the catalyst behind everything that you're seeing. And this is why, because 
anybody who's a parent right now knows their kids watch YouTube predominantly. Mm -hmm. They do not watch cable television. They do not watch anything that is connected to your satellite dish or to your cable box. Right. They are exclusively online and they get their news and information from the internet. The legacy news media, the ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, they are dying. Yeah. They are shredding. They're just, they're shredding users and viewers. Uh, more and more people are cutting off their cable and going with streaming services and exclusively getting their news and information online. The legacy news media is dying. The only legacy news media that is actually do- doing really well is Fox News. Yeah. Fox News, if you, if I, as, as somebody who's an avid, you know, critiquer of the media, I look at the ratings, whenever they come out and Fox, it always just destroys everyone else. Well, everybody else is grabbing at straws right now. Well, and what's happening is in their, in their desperation to maintain an audience, they are becoming more and more extreme. I'll give you a little bit of context. When I was in, when I was in college, one of the media classes I took was on um, sort of the rise of media within India. Mm-hmm. And we talked about Bollywood and things like that. But one right. of the characteristics of Indian news was that they would find the two like most polar opposite people on any particular issue and put their talking heads on the screen and just let them go at it. And there was yelling and screaming and cursing and insults. And they would just be like, okay, well, that was an interesting you know segment. Let's move on. And they did that because it draws viewers. It's dramatic. It's sensational. Mm-hmm. And that was considered to be a characteristic of a news media that is trying to build an audience. Yeah. And then over time they mellowed out and they started focusing mostly on the facts because people didn't need to be enticed to watch. They wanted to know what was happening. Right. We're sort of having the opposite effect of that where I'm not going to argue that the news was always like dragnet, just the facts. <laughs> yeah. But, but we, but the amount of partisan and opinionated uh, broadcasting has skyrocketed at least since Bush took office in 2000. And to the point where if you watch CNN, in particular, if you watch Don Lemon, who I might add was voted as one of the worst oh. journalists in America in 2014. Uh, did you know that Don Lemon's thinking about throwing in the towel because, uh, because it's, it's become, um, it's become too toxic for him. And, and, and do you, like you want to talk about the definition of tone deaf, that that's like saying, "Hey, everybody has this disease that I've been spreading." Right. I think I'm, I'm going to leave. Of it. Yeah. I think I'm going to leave because you are all you are all infected with AIDS, even though I gave it to you. But but damn, you guys, you bunch of you bunch of dirty bastards with your AIDS. I'm leaving because I don't want to be around a bunch of people with AIDS that I gave you. That's. I mean. <laughs> Yes. I, I still, you know, as a, as a side note, I really, uh, if anybody saw Don Lemon do the, uh, there's a new year's, a new year's Eve broadcast he did a few years ago where he was hitting on his coworker. He was totally smashed on national television. How this man, how this man still has a job. Like he was hitting on his co-host. I mean, after that, I was like, this guy's gotta be fired. Like he had to have come into the office. They gave him his own show. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I find it kind of endearing when people do stuff like that because that's really who you are. Okay, cool. Now I can build a sure. realistic perspective on who you are. It's like when Bill O'Reilly blew up. That was the oh. funniest goddamn <laughs> clip on earth. 
We're doing it live. We're doing it live. That is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, dude, that was like early in his career too. Yeah, that, that was, was like super in the '80s. Early, but I don't think he really got a lot of eyes until way later. Oh yeah, well yeah, but, exactly. But I mean, still, it, it's endearing. It's you know, like when Mark Meachin, you know, makes this hilarious, in my opinion, video of a pug doing a sig heil. Of course, it's just ridiculous. Yes. And yes, it's offensive, but that. That's what he thinks is funny. Okay, now I can build out what this person is actually like so I can understand where they're coming from on everything. You know, it <laughs> just be a real person. Jesus Christ, nobody's perfect. No, and that's and that's and then, I mean and I guess that's that's another major difference between like legacy media and what you see on YouTube is It is exactly the difference. You, I mean, it, YouTube's uh, real people. Yeah, it's it's real people like um uh, Philip DeFranco. Yeah, he He's kind of milk toast. I get it. He is, yeah. But everybody tunes into him often enough, and he's honest enough with how he is and doesn't edit the hell out of himself as far as, like, how he acts. Like, if you watch, like, the mainstream media, how much makeup do these motherfuckers wear? Oh, and it's... And how it's, much do they get as a wardrobe budget? Right. Nobody wears that nicest suit every night. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's all about that polished professional look, and I remember how detrimental to the makeup industry it was when we switched to HDTV because oh, now God, yeah. now suddenly you could see like all the shit on their face, mm -hmm. and the makeup artists were like, "Oh, we're screwed." Yeah, you know we're made for four eighty by you know four hundred eighty pixels, and now it's like you know HD broadcast where you could see all the wrinkles on their face, and yeah, I agree that YouTube brought about this sort of this this era of authenticity. And in mm -hmm. fact, it's something that I had That's to. That's what everybody loved about it. Right. And I've had to explain to clients that have um, have really kind of, you know, they, they've seen my work and then they come back and they're just like, well, we would really like something that was a little bit more polished. And I have to explain it. It's not going to sell. No, that's. It I have will not sell. Not in this era. You're talking 20 year old goalposts. Exactly. Yeah. And I have to tell them, I said, listen, it's not that I can't do that for you, but it's that if you're going to use this platform, as a way of advertising yourself, it's got to be raw. Yeah. I mean, you don't want raw like you just run one long clip of 40 minutes and, and there's no editing, but it's like you got to come across as a real person. Well, it's it's not even coming. Uh, the editing doesn't even matter as much. And, and yes, it's nice to a certain extent, but also like it's with my previous podcast that I did. It was. I'm just fixing levels. Right. Whatever lands lands. Now, it was more general topic. And it was just kind of whatever came out is what we're talking about. But my friends that liked it, liked it because it was like, <laughs> that's you. Yeah. It's like you're, you come across as a real person. Yeah. It's not, it's not faked. It's not, you know, the, maybe the mistakes were left in there. Yeah. But it's, but overall there but has that to general banner is some of the funniest things in real life. Like I remember one of the things that we had an issue with was, um, uh, people knocking their hands on the table oh. or, you know, loud fans or whatever, but we'd make a joke on it, fix on it, and then move on with the podcast in real time, which is how life really plays out. Right. It's yeah. the stupidity. It's the, it, it, it's like, you know, when I make random dad jokes and I end up laughing to myself for like, I had it last week for five minutes. I was laughing way too hard. That's supposed to laugh at your own jokes and comedy. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Please. So my coworker ended up laughing at me, laughing at my own stupid ass joke. But that's that's what makes life genuine and real. Sure. And when you end up editing yourself so hard, you know, 
like like a lot of the hard hard leftists do it there's nothing of substance or genuine about it it's just facade well and that and that's that's ultimately um the major issue that we're facing yeah. is the fact that these are individuals that if you were to if you were to speak to them by themselves in a secluded room and you start asking them questions about some of the stuff to a brick of marble, it'll be way more interesting. Well, and, and, but I mean, there's so much hypocrisy, whether re whether implied, um, or, or, um, done on purpose or even just, they're just not aware of it because a lot of people are very issue focused. Yeah. And again, going back to principles, principles are super important because it keeps you consistent. Right. When you have principles that guide the things that you do in life, you stay consistent even as the the happenings change. Right. But a lot of people are very issue focused. And so they flip flop where they occupy different uh, logical positions or Mm -hmm. different philosophical positions on all these different issues because they're they're emotional. So it's all emotional based. It's how I feel. They don't want to deal with the idea of like why it's tearing for me to you know, want to break up these big companies, but also knowing how bad of an idea it is to start breaking up companies. It, that tearing feeling is good. Sure. You sh- that means you're actually fucking thinking about it. Yeah, you're actually, you're actually being able to see the different possible outcomes. I mean, like I said, like my concern with, with the regulation of social media is the fact that the government has no vested interest in the free in the, in the public being able to openly speak about anything. Right. And so if anything, regulations anymore within, within the uh, governmental framework are almost done exclusively by private companies to limit the ability of their competition to survive within the, within the economy. Yeah. You know, you see the, the one example I always provide is all of the taxi cab companies in Uber. They're co- they're coming out with well we need to regulate we need we need these regulations because we got to make sure that people are you know that people are safe and that you know that that you, you can't just let anybody just drive people around in a car even though you want to step on some d- toes in one shot all the women that get you know rightfully um, scared about riding with a random person with like Uber or Lyft uh huh you you could start carrying <laughs> yeah you can start carrying hang on they could do and that how too. they bar drivers from carrying right even though they do even though they pick up random fucking people that there's videos yeah. of people being arrested while they're being ubered somewhere sure they had no idea that they were carrying somebody who was wanted by the cops yeah but don't carry guns in your car because that's not safe we don't want to be you know it's 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 all these denials of reality but I mean, it's a, you know, there's a number of situations that if you sit down and you talk to somebody who has these sort of radical progressive views, mm-hmm. you will find that they do not engage, they do not exercise that same philosophy within their own life. It, it, the, like, talking to somebody like that, which I've had far too much experience with. I know you've talked to a lot much. of people. Oh. <laughs> uh, it, it's like when you get a feedback loop in a microphone. Sure. That's what that conversation is like. Yes. Yes. It's jarring and it feels like it's never going to end. And, and I mean, and so that's like, we, in fact, I mean, you could see how we have created what, what you actually have 
with this relationship with the legacy media and the and the so that the tech conglomerates is you do have this negative feedback loop that's taking place and, and I'll illustrate how I think this works. The legacy media ramps up their level of um, propaganda and activism and opinion-based programming mm-hmm. as a way of, a, of of trying to to grab as many of their viewers as they can to keep them from leaving. Right. So they're grasping for it. They're they're competing over less eyeballs now. Yeah. And so they're having to get the, they're having to become more and more dramatic. So this shapes the perspectives of the people who actually consume that content. Yep. So now it's like. 20 like CNN is like 24 hour anti-Trump. Yeah. Everything that you see is about how corrupt the president is about how, how many, how many laws that he breaks, how much he lies. And it's just a constant stream of anti-Trumpism all the time. Although all while whitewashing things that are taking place on the progressive side. And the fact that, you know, for example, uh, Arcasio Cortez was just outed with a year old set of photographs of her at a child detention camp uh, oh, where she was times. crying and she was, and she was uh, acting all hysterically upset over a parking lot filled well, with cars. Also, you remember that meme I sent to you calling her champagne socialist? Yes. With that thousand dollar watch. With, she the, has. with the massively expensive watches and, and she was wearing. A raise when she's making, what was it? $176,000 a year. Well, but it's not even a raise. It's just four grand, right? I think that's what she said. She's like, it's like not even a oh, raise. That's fine. I'll take four grand. Yeah. If it's not even a raise and it's not that big a deal, why the fuck do you need it? Right. Precisely. You can't, again, you can't occupy both sides. Isn't most of your stuff paid for anyways? Right. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a number of things that, you know, oh, they got to have two, re- you know, it's like, oh, crime, you know, cry me a freaking river about all the things that you have to deal, you have to deal with being a, a congressional representative. Where is it just, it's so hard, you know, you have to live in this luxury apartment and you probably need another place to live, right? Right. Go fuck yourself. I just looked for a house to live for six months, just renting. Right. And yeah. I finally got one after being rejected twice. Yeah. Yeah. It happened one more time for being straight white males. <laughs> Is that, how did that manifest itself? Cause you, we were totally talked about <sighs> that before. It, it was too much of a nightmare. Cause even if I could have taken it to a legal battle, it wasn't worth it. I find an, fi- finally found a place that didn't have a HOA. Thank God, because God knows you don't need another regulatory body over you besides the government and the person owning the house. Now you need a third one coming after you for something that you did wrong, quote unquote. Yeah, something something that they've deemed will will uh, negatively affect affect their property values, even though the price, even prices though of houses renting. keep. Yeah, even though you're renting and the price of houses keeps going up. Well, what is so what is, very quickly? Uh, so what? How did this manifest? It's like how do you know? Because that's what my realtor told me that the other realtor responded with. That's literally what was, so that that was the language yeah. that was used is because, because you guys, because it's you and what, like two other guys, two other guys. Um, there's two of us that are getting close to our thirties and one that's younger, but somehow the most responsible with money bar none is like 22. Okay. Yeah, so it so we all have great credit scores. One of them might not be great, and I had to prove that you know I paid collections, and that only took like four hours because proving that you paid a collections thing six years ago was supposed to be easy. Right. Yeah. Of course. Jesus it's Christ. So and they, and they just they rejected your application because you guys weren't a family. Yeah. Oh, so they wanted uh, so they wanted oh they which, you know what I can understand that. 
but you should probably rent to somebody and stay off the market. Sure. Yeah. If that's the case, then you might want to just, you know, find somebody as opposed to putting the house in the open market. And then, so, I mean, isn't it, so to me, like it's sort of an emphasis on how things have changed so quickly mm -hmm. and how, um, it's not that again, it's, it, we, we talk about the aspect of hypocrisy. It's not that the, that the, that the progressive left is actually interested in inclusion and tolerance. It's just that they would like to exercise discretion over the people that they find to be uh, undesirable. I want my way. Yeah, it's but they but they, it's all done under the guise of, well, we're just trying to be more inclusive because you don't understand this particular group over here. Well, they're oppressed. And it's like, well, actually, you're oppressing me. Yeah, but it's but it's not about it's not even about uh, it's we know better than you. It's not about equalizing. What it is, is it's really about uh, turning the tables. Yeah. It's an exact flip. Even though many of these people have never actually experienced anything close to actual oppression. Don't even get me started. I know. <laughs> but I mean, but these are the kinds of, these are the kind, like the, the, the tech, like the tech sphere and the social media sphere is really just the latest uh, escalation mm -hmm. of all of this where now it's, you know, Google comes out and says, oh, we're, we build products for everybody. Well, clearly not because- very because it's it's pretty clear to us that there are certain people on YouTube who you built that product for who are just deemed undesirable. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that they're not banned or their channels are outright deleted, of which has happened, <laughs> is because or like threatened in, to be. Well, like the case of, like in the case of Steven Crowder, the only the only reason that Crowder his his and his channels got probably I think over five million subs now. It's way up. Yeah. He's the only reason that he has managed to survive is because he keeps an attorney on retainer. What is what do they call him? Half they, Asian they call him his yeah, it's like a it's like Bill our, Bill our half Asian lawyer. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so And even before just to give you context on like that is not out of the ordinary for him to have a name like that in his show because he had what uh not gay Jared. Yeah, for not a gay while. Jared. And they got uh, like uh they got like a quarter like a quarter black. Quarter black, yeah, yeah. Somebody is also uh, quarter black. Guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and of course the and of course the uh the 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 freaking intern that they had from Germany who was uh who role played as a computer the whole time. God, I can't remember his name for life. Maybe where yeah, he yeah. was always saying beep beep to everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was, I think that was after, uh, but that kind of came about as a, as from a gag. And yeah. So yeah, like everybody's got their nicknames and it's, it's not unusual, but, but I mean, and Crowder has said that his attorney's retainer is by far their single largest expense. Yeah. And he has, he's to, proven that he needs it. He has to, yeah. He's like, I, in order for, because otherwise he would have been completely wiped off of, off of YouTube. He would have never made it to no. a million. And so that's the, that's the biggest problem with some of these, you have creators that are kind of in the middle where they've mm -hmm. got some of these creators have got like several hundred thousand subscribers. They're, they, they're just wiped out because these guys can't afford to pay a lawyer mm -hmm. to fight somebody as big as YouTube constantly. And so they just get, they just get taken out with the tidal wave. And that's a section of content and a perspective that is now completely eliminated from the internet. And something that really, um, so what, like one of the things that I remember seeing that really sort of perked, perked my ears up was, uh, was Carlos Maza over at Vox about how he was referring. Cause of course this has been during yeah. the month of June, which is pride month. Isn't and how it a coincidence and yeah, and how Carlos was saying that YouTube is queer space, and I'm thinking like, 
who the fuck do you think you are? Right. That you're, oh, you're going to claim the third highest traffic site on the internet as queer space. Yeah. Like what? But I mean, at the same time, you shift that you shift that language. Imagine if somebody was like, YouTube is white space. If you're not white, then hit the door. Well, I, banned instantly. I mean, like, well, but, they 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 play that shit, in, especially in this example. Just like the N word, we can say you can't. Yeah. So Stephen Crowder gets in trouble for calling him a lesbian queer, even though he has called himself a queer. His his on Twitter so handle many occasions. His, his, Carlos's Twitter handle is at Gay Wonk. I mean, you put it out there, dude. Yeah. You, you can't hang it out there and then get mad with somebody else decides to have fun with it. It's too. something I learned a long time ago is go on a preemptive defense, make fun of yourself for what they're about to make fun of you for. Right. Cause then it, you know, so when somebody calls me a metrosexual or thinks I'm gay, uh, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. You just, you just have to diffuse the situation, but I it's think it's exactly why I say, you know, I'm, I'm eating well cause I'm trying to maintain my girlish figure. Right. How are you going to attack me? about my eating habits after that. Right. It's, it's, it, I mean, Have that is, fun. that's something I discovered really early in life was when I had a lot of problems with, um, with, cause I was, I was always a really emotional kid and it was Same. very easy to get a rise out of me. Yeah. And I discovered that I was able to diffuse those situations by, by being self-deprecating to a larger degree than anybody else could make fun of me. One, because it took the heat off me because I felt like I was in control, but two, like, you don't get the same reaction. It's like this kid just ripped on himself more than I can rip on him. And like, it's not fun anymore. And so they move on to another target. Well, and not only that, but you can also end up converting them into thinking you're hilarious because of what you're doing. Sure. Sure. And, but I mean, it's, um, you can see how there's, there really is no inclusion in any of this. There is no, there is no tolerance. Uh, there is no diversity. They're not interested in, they're not interested in what, uh, you know, certain, there are certain groups, certain skin colors, certain sexual orientations. They don't care what you think. And so all of this discussion about, and the, all these platitudes about how, you know, we're interested in being diverse and we make products for everybody. It's all a lie. Yeah. And, and you know what, if that's the case, like you want to play the whole private, the private company nonsense. And if Google wants to come, like, that's my thing is like in this age, I would just like to see some honesty. You know what? That's why people love YouTube. If the news organizations are anti-Trump, then yeah. why don't they just come out and say, all you're going to get at this news news outlet is you're going to get anti-Trump shit. Yeah. Just so you know, we don't like the president. We don't agree with his policies. And this is what you're going to get. But you run into a very similar situation like what you talk about, which is, well, then you're not necessarily operating as an impartial platform. You're not operating with any kind of, uh, any kind of real objectivity. Mm-hmm. And you end up in this weird position, like, for instance, like if I don't know if people are aware of this, but you're familiar with the, the organization Media Matters. <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah. OK. So Media Matters is a 501c3 nonprofit. Oh, no way. I think 501c3 is actually a political. Pa- well, but they're a they're considered to be a nonprofit charitable news organization. Part of being a nonprofit means you cannot be political. There is you you. You they would have don't to give a shit about the rules. No, well, of course not. Of course, they don't Especially give. Especially when you, 
for the majority of it that you control the narrative for it, it's extremely easy but to it's, not get in trouble. The for government it. and the IRS, as long as you have the right politics, then you're given you're given a pass. And the thing about the about the tech censorship about with respect to conservatives, and like you mentioned early on, it is nothing new. We've been talking about this for years. And for years, we have been discussing example after example, but it's always like, well, you know, there, there's always some rational explanation for it. But what you're seeing is, is that the things that conservative, you know, or you're just a conspiracy theorist. Time and time again, like going back to 2012, with the accusations that the IRS, along with, <laughs> with Lois Lerner, who was running the IRS at the time during the Obama administration, was intentionally targeting Tea Party conservative organizations and harassing them with massive questionnaires of unnecessary uh, items or illegal items, including asking them for things like their donor list because they wanted to, of course, go after their donors. Yeah. Oh, no, you were a conspiracy theorist. You were a right-wing nutcase. It was the vast right-wing conspiracy, as Hillary Clinton used to say. Um, oh, and, until it was proven true, until the IRS actually had to admit Yes, we actually targeted these groups, but by then the damage was done. Yeah. And then of course we have the situation which with, is the, the that's what the hard left operates on now. The damage is done. Yeah, it's just We're wrong. It's just like it's just Oopsies. like they're like just one massive brigade driving around doing drive-by shootings. Yeah. Oopsies. We're all here like our bad. Yeah. We on on to the next thing. Yeah. And and the drum has been beaten so much on proving that they're doing what they're doing that most people are uninterested when they say they're wrong. So, and I mean, um, I just realized that I wanted to add on to this. So you have the situation with Google and you have, um, you have the stuff with, with Janai. And of course she came right out over, um, over on medium. And she was just basically like, Oh, you know, this was, I was ambushed by people pretending not to be who they were. And, um, you know, they took everything out of context. They spliced it up. That's always their argument with Veritas. Is well, it's selectively edited, and that—that's our argument with you too. Can you provide a better example? Right. Well, it's and <laughs> and I mean, you've seen like there's been news broadcasts where people have been selectively edited, and it's a vastly different look and mm -hmm. feel. Um, except the problem is, is that uh, there was an email that was released short, like the day after this mm -hmm. all came out, from another Google insider that essentially moved. Uh, to, to make the case that the same thing was happening in other areas. So there was an email that basically contradicted Janai's assertions that, no, I, you know, we're here for everybody. And this is what the email said. It says, today it is often one or two steps. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Let me get some context here. Uh, this, is a, this is from something called like Bounding, Bounding into Comics was the site that had a pretty decent wrap up of this. It says, however, a new Google email appears to contradict Janai's statements about Google not being ideological. In an email from a Google employee named uh, Liam Hopkins, the Project Veritas claim was, quote, sent as part of the Google Transparency and Ethics Group International Communications, shows that Google classified PragerU, Jordan Peterson, and Ben Shapiro as, quote, Nazis using the dog whistles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two Jews are Nazis now. Yeah. So, so in, in breaking news, in in clown world, Nazis are Jews. Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, this is a quote from the email. It says, "Today, it is often one or two steps to Nazis. 
You can imagine you can take one step and be a Nazi. Jesus, what happened to Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, man? <laughs> those days are those days are long gone. Uh, if we understand that PragerU, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro et al. are Nazis using the dog whistles you mentioned in step one, I can receive these recommendations regardless of the content of what I'm looking at, and I've recorded thousands of internet users sharing the same experience. Oh, yeah, like the fake experience of that dude that the New York Times did an expose on who who delved into the world of the alt-right. Did you see that article? And then essentially at the end of the article, they basically admitted that the dude actually went back to leftist videos and didn't actually, he didn't actually buy into any of the propaganda. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, I watched a bunch of stuff and then I went back to watching leftist videos. It was nothing. Yeah. It was nothing. And that was the video that, um, uh, speaking of, uh, um, uh, who's, who you're just talking about earlier that does the news broadcasts. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm spacing out. Who's the who's the big YouTuber that does all the new stuff? Oh, Philip DeFranco. Philip DeFranco, thank you. About how how the there was like a, a bunch of pictures. <laughs> yeah, and how Philip exactly and how like yeah. and when they got to like the the phrase about them being like radicals, Philip DeFranco's picture was the only well, one the left that, there. The thing that I was thinking about with that with everyone that they put, especially with the scrolling article, um, for their online uh copy, it, even. I, I think I heard somebody say that uh, it wouldn't always be the same person at the end when you're scrolling down. Right. It doesn't matter. They're winning either way because they don't like any of these people. No, they don't like any of those people. So then uh, it says here at the last part of the email, it says, I don't think correctly identifying far-right content is beyond our capabilities, but if it is, why not go with Meredith's suggestion of disabling the suggestions feature? This could be a significant step in terms of user trust. And it was suggestion features in reference to suggested videos. Yes. So on YouTube. So once you watch a video, it comes up with a suggested list that will autoplay if it's enabled. Here's some and, shit we think you might be interested in watching based right. on what you've already watched. So break the algorithm because that doesn't agree with you. Correct. And so, so um, and then what's not on here, but was reported by Tim Poole is Reddit has now quarantined the Donald the, the Donald subreddit, which reported by Tim seems to be like one of the most active sources of right-wing memes on the internet. The most far and away. And it was predominantly featured almost all the time in the Reddit slash all. Mm-hmm. So the posts were constantly at the top. It was a highly active subreddit, and they were very effective. Right. And so Reddit has decided, and all under the guise of them allegedly advocating for violence against police in Oregon. Now, yeah, yeah, these are the people who are going to advocate against police. I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you that that was a highly uh, contextually based statement that somebody took out of context in order for essentially this to take place, or. Alternatively, maybe a lefty would have jumped on there and posted it just to get him in trouble. Well, there's also that too, is the possibility that it's like you can't control your users. So what if you just went on and started pretending to be somebody who was, you know, a pro-Trump guy mm-hmm. and being like, you know, kill all cops. But the Oregon situation specifically, um, for anybody that's not familiar very recently, the Republicans in the, in the Oregon state legislature 
have been exercising a tactic, which I don't personally agree with, but it's been done by both sides where they were having to vote on a, they were trying to avoid a quorum on a particular piece of legislation. And so they fled the state to prevent quorum from being reached within the state legislature. And the uh, governor of Oregon was actually suggesting using the Oregon state police to incarcerate and drag them back to the state. And so essentially sending armed agents of violence against the state's legislature to bring them back and force them to vote on a particular bill. Um, Number one, uh, well, can I just like, can I also go on the record to say that Portland is also a shithole? Yeah. In the sense, like Portland is, I feel like Portland must have the, you know, if I was like, if I put my Alex Jones hat on for a moment, I'm pretty sure that the gateway to hell is somewhere in, in Portland, Oregon. Either that or San Francisco. Maybe you got to go somewhere in between. Because there is like Portland is, is like, it's, it's difficult to describe except for the fact that it is, it's like infested with radical, not just progressives, but radical communists mm-hmm. as well. It is crazy. Like it's almost like the Florida version of politics mm-hmm. where it's like you have a 50, 50 chance of some crazy political news being in Portland or any of the other 49 States. Yep. And, and so I'm pretty sure that somebody on the Donald, if it was a legitimate comment made by an actual Donald Trump supporter was probably very critical of maybe perhaps somebody say, well, like, well, if the cops came to drag me back, this is what I would do. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you it was it was not a it was not an overt threat to the police. The Trump supporters, you know, do not hate law enforcement. But going back to Marcus Meacham and Count Dankula, yeah. Context doesn't matter. Right. In this case, yeah, the context doesn't matter. It's the it's the seriousness of the charge, uh, as that's something that um uh, I'm spacing on the specifics, but there was a there was an event that took place in Congress where somebody was accused of something you know pretty serious, and there was no evidence to support it. And what was publicly stated was, well, it's not whether or not there's evidence, but it's the seriousness of the charge that mandates an investigation. And it's that's the kind of mentality. It's the, that's the kind of like super anorexic thin argumentation that mm-hmm. is employed by the left in order to use the powers of government, or in this case, big tech, as a way of gaining influence over people that you don't like what or I mean, disagree with. I mean, it plays exactly the same way as calling someone a Nazi. Now we have to investigate. Correct. Well, they've, I mean... They've been allegated to be a Nazi. Yeah. That's serious. Yes. Yeah, that would be serious if it was true. But it's, yeah, it's like, okay, well, where's your baseless. evidence? Yeah. yeah. Where's your evidence? Well, I don't need evidence. I just, it's, obviously, why would someone, you know, they, they, they will, they'll rhetorically ask, well, why would someone accuse you of being a Nazi, Blair, if you're not one? Right. I mean, why would someone just say that? As though they, there's always this, this again, this this play on, on, on naivete that, well, no one would accuse you of being a Nazi unless they really thought that that, yes, because, of course, no one would deliberately manipulate the system or people's emotions or, or thoughts in order to obtain a desired outcome. No one would lie about Alex Jones or no one would lie about Steven Crowder, or no one would lie about Count Dankula to get them stripped of their ability to use these large tech platforms because, well, that would just wouldn't be right. It's like it. It's like all of a sudden everybody becomes Barney Fife. Yeah. Where they're just like, well, gee golly, I mean, why would anybody do that intentionally? You know, it's like, come on, like, do I mean, do I look stupid? 
you know, but there's this, but there's this emphasis that they'll just, because, but the minute you become accusatory and you out the scheme, well, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you? And so, you know, suddenly everybody's virtuous and self-righteous and just as beyond reproach. It's, it's the, the game is, um, it's so heavily exposed yeah. that it's almost insulting at this point. I, it's almost past that. It's it's almost to the point where it's just passe. It's just whatever now because most people have been exposed to how hypocritical the left can be that it's like, oh, you, you, to be expected. So something, so one, one small shift I'd like to make is um, I have a couple of thoughts and I think you may too on where this could go. Now, now here's the thing. We're most likely one thing that we could probably both agree on. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Okay. It's going to get worse until it gets better. And um, it's going to get worse all the way through the 2020 election. This is not the yeah. last we're going to see. We're going to see this ramp up. Yeah. And the more it ramps up, the more you're going to see companies like Google and places like YouTube and Facebook, they're going to start. It's going to be so blatantly obvious what's happening, but they are going to tell you who you're going to believe us or your lying eyes. Yeah. That's really how it's going to go down. Now, one thing I, one thing is that I've been sort of kicking around is I think what is eventually going to happen is you're going to see some form of decentralized social media. You're going to have people like me, potentially like you who are like, you know what? We're actually, you know, I used to think that we should have restrictions on speech. Now, now I'm, now I don't really care. Now I think that you should be able to say whatever it is that you want to say and that people are have to work it out. I think a lot of the people that are cast out by the left might actually start taking those hardline stances just before anyone else. Right. Because we've seen, we've seen where restrictions go. Eventually mm-hmm. this, eventually the road, the road of restriction eventually leads to silencing. Yeah. And so we can't, it's, you have to treat the first amendment essentially like you, tr- like we treat the right to, to, to bear arms, which is any desire to regulate well, like that's we all should, you well mean. that we should even though that's heavily heavily regulated uh-huh. but but it's like anything that relatively threatens the ability to to own and possess and carry firearms is is opposed in a massive scale yeah now where i think that where i think a number of these big tech companies have failed is they don't i think that they have not anticipated the ability for decentralized applications to come into play. Now this might be a little, mm-hmm. so might be a little techie for anybody who's not into information technology or into computers, but it's have to understand that tech follows these cycles of centralization and decentralization. And when new technology is created, it's almost always centralized. And then as the technology begins to is, as it begins to mature and it becomes more readily adopted, the technology decentralizes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we no longer like decentralization, you know, centralized, like the computer itself used to be heavily centralized. Mm -hmm. Only certain people made them, only certain people could afford them. And then boom, here we have essentially a decentralized computer platform where everybody can have a mobile phone. Computer components are open source, you know, open source platforms where Mm -hmm. you don't have to use, you know, Linux being an example of an open source platform, the Unix operating system, you know, you don't have to pay money to necessarily have access to this right. technology, you just have to have the knowledge. And I, th- and right now, social media, of course, is very heavily centralized. 
And it's easy to understand why it's all proprietary. The data, of course, can be sold it's for money. It's also very new technology. And it's very, it's, yes, it is. It's still relatively new. And so we are at a point where there's a real possibility that somebody may, um, in the future, develop a decentralized social media application in a very similar way that right now there's a particular cryptocurrency project um, that's that's backed by the currency called Skycoin. And Skycoin's whole emphasis amongst fixing a lot of what they perceive to be as issues with Bitcoin is to create a decentralized internet by utilizing sort of the what they dub as the mining aspect of Bitcoin, where individuals are using computers to try and solve the algorithmic problems of Bitcoin. And if they get it, if they if they win, then they actually are awarded coins. And that's done in a decentralized manner. The Bitcoin network is essentially operated by hundreds of thousands or millions of computers all over the world. And in fact, the the nodes that keep the entire ledger, I I run a Bitcoin node here in my home. Nobody nobody pays me to do it. I didn't have to ask for permission. I assembled the hardware, I installed the software, and I run the node on my own. And that's the kind of, that type of technology could very well come to something like YouTube or even like Facebook or Twitter. Mm. And you can imagine a situation where you could create a platform in which the advertising revenue and the utilization of the platform is completely open. You can run whatever ads you want. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's probably going to be certain types of advertisements that you don't want that break the law. We can't have advertisements for things like kiddie porn, or we can't advertise, you know, people that are going to, you know, can go and assassinate people. Like there have to be restrictions put on it. But, but for a moment, imagine a, a social media company like Facebook that operates on a decentralized platform where people all across the world run nodes that all, that all provide this application. It's not subject to government regulation because it's not a business. Just like regulating Bitcoin is a joke because you'd have to shut the internet off to stop it. Like you can't regulate it because it doesn't exist exclusively in any country. Yep. And I think that some like YouTube is probably the biggest single, um, single source that's ripe for a takeover, you can imagine like an independent, uh, comp- like an independent site, like bit, like bit shoot mm-hmm. where, um, you could purchase a, let's say you purchase a bit shoot node or a bit shoot miner. And they say, Hey, so for every, you know, we're going to pay you either by traffic or we'll pay you by whoever watches videos off your system, or we'll pay you by storage, some arbitrary way where you are, paid with currency, whether it's be cryptocurrency or whatnot, just simply for running this node in your home and utilizing your internet connection. And so now with, you know, all of the content delivery network technology that's available, where it's basically tied to your location Mm -hmm. and the internet sends you to the closest available node for a particular item. I mean, you could create an entire application that's decentralized, that's completely open, that no one, like literally no one could stop Mm -hmm. because no one person entity or company actually runs it. Well, especially if you start utilizing other things other than hardwired internet, you start using things like 4G, 5G, uh, Wi-Fi, um, unregulated bands. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the, like, that's the, that's the primary, um, basis for, 
the the decentralized internet technology that Skycoin is using is that the only place that would be wired would be at the at the fiber uplink. Mm-hmm. So that's the only place that that particular technology is is really vulnerable. Is somebody is going to have to uplink to the internet backbone, and that person or that company could potentially be the target. But otherwise, if you added parity there, you'd be sure. Yeah, you make you very make it much more well off. You be yeah, you make it way more difficult. But yeah. otherwise, the the idea is to use is to use a radio frequency transmission instead. And in fact, I mean, because I know a lot of people are used to plugging in cable, but mm-hmm. there are there there are a lot of areas in Europe, and there are some areas in the United States where they use point to point dishes. And I'm not talking about big giant satellite dishes, even really the size. You're talking use, about microwave, right? Just probably microwave, yeah. like something that's the size of like a dinner plate. Yeah, it's really small, and you just do point to point connectivity, and you hook up enough places, and you have, and you're talking like 300 meg down. You're not talking, we're right. not talking 56K, you know, modem speeds here. Right. So not to get too into the woods, but the, the point being, these tech companies are operating from a position of extreme arrogance. Mm-hmm. And, some, and, and what may be born out of all of this is, a, is a, someone sits down and says, you know what, I'm going to create a social media platform that can't be stopped. The, the one way to kind of look about it is they're, you know, the carriage for horses when railroads coming along or right. the automobile automobile or the airplane. There's always going to be something out that trumps you. Oh, for sure. And, and I, and a number of those inventions had a lot of arrogance where people are just like, who, who's going to use that? Yeah. Well, who would use, imagine a, could you imagine going 30 miles an hour? Well, imagine, imagine a, Imagine a Twitter-based service that you can't share freaking pictures of cats. I mean, who who would How use it be market penetration without that? Right. Who <laughs> is going to use who is going to use a social media service where you can't share video, you can't share photos? It's like uh, lots of people. <laughs> Some of us can read and enjoy doing so, and are interested in sh- in sharing. Interesting. I mean, imagine a so imagine just for a minute, imagine a social media platform that you can exist in total anonymity. Your information is not kept anywhere. That was a really good part of the internet. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. And, and, and it's amazing to me how many people think that the anonymity on the internet is a bad thing. Yes, it does. It does give people a license to act like a shitlord. I, I totally 100% admit that, but you know what? The alternative, the alternative, like the the counter extreme example is the social media credit system yep. that you have in China right now, where you are literally watched every moment from when you leave your home. They have an enormously extensive surveillance system that's backed by artificial intelligence. So it doesn't require uh, an army of thousands of people to be sifting through listening to people's calls. It's all done automatically and everything is tied to your behavior. And if you act like a shitlord, then suddenly you find that you can't leave the country. You can't take a train. You can't get a job. You can't get a car. You can't go certain places. That is the alternative Mm -hmm. to the, not the alternative, but it is sort of the extreme opposite. I'd be willing to go as far as I'd rather have my, 
the living shit beaten out of me once a year and spend, I don't know, let's call it a month and a half in recovery, then deal with that kind of system. Well, but you're, you're, and it, have total freedom. It would, it would, you would exist, you would have the same or greater level of pain. Yeah. But it would be manifested. In, I mean, it would be the Instead exact, of physical pain, it's mental anguish. Yes. It would be the exact world that Orwell designed in 1984 where you, where, you know, there was thought crime. Yeah. And we've already seen, I mean, some people get a little overzealous with their comparisons to 1984 to the point where they, they're ridiculous. Wear it out. They wear, yeah. But I mean, it just, but there are a number of situations, this, of course, notwithstanding, where you just can't overemphasize the fact that it's like, it's like somebody looked at this and was like a step-by-step manual yeah. on how to like completely destroy society. I mean, with the way that um, they audit the language, it's, they're doing it. Yeah. How the fact that there are, you know, there are certain words that are now deemed, you know, you just can't say those things. Well, that's a dog whistle. You can't say that. Right. That's a, oh, it's a dog whistle. And it's like the whole emphasis of a dog whistle is some, some people hear certain things that other people don't. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so what you're saying is it's all based on interpretation and I can't control how certain people interpret things. It's like, well, you know, it's like, my God, I can't control what people think. Yeah. But it's like, you should, they don't see it that way. I know how many comedians get in trouble. It's, it's how I perceived it. Well, that's the thing is, is, is that the, it's all, it's and of course again. It's all these are all tools that are just designed mm-hmm. to silence inf- and and essentially suppress. And it's and it's never because it's never about what it's about. It's never about equality. It's actually about a, it's actually about oppression. Mm-hmm. You know, and the people who are allegedly oppressed um, have experienced no real oppression. There was actually a really great article in the Atlantic that I that I cruised over just a couple of days ago, where the author was like was trying to take the position like, Hey, like to the, to the, to the gay and homosexual community. He's like, uh, I think that you guys need to just start admitting the truth, which is you won. Like you won the war you won. There's no more oppression of homosexuals on a mass scale in the United States. I mean, and I mean, not to like, it's not to take us down like a, like the the whole topic, but like this is it's it's one of those things where there's no end game. These people do not know, and when I say these people, I just mean the radical progressives. Mm-hmm. They do not know how to stop because stopping when when activism is seen as a part of your identity, it's who you are. I am an activist. I am a, uh, you know, um. Uh, an annoying person. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, I am Occupy Wall Street. You know, I am a feminist. Uh, you know, when activism is seen as a central part of your identity, you don't know how to stop because if you did, what would you be? Who would you be? Well, you'd, you'd be the same, probably, you know, irritating person that nobody wants to hang out with. Yep. But you, you, you're the same person. That's that's something that's so surreal is you see these extremes because all of these aspects have been have been put into identity and sort of close the loop on the relationship with the media is everybody sort of they're influenced by these extreme positions of 
oh my God, 50% of the country are actual Nazis. I mean, you have, you have people, many of them who are in Portland right now, who <laughs> actually believe that they are living out this, this epic battle and war between them who are the good guys and everyone else who's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. They, they really think that there's some kind of freedom fighter fighting for the rebellion. Yeah. All of them are Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And, and fantasy is fun when you're a kid. Yeah, when you're a kid and, when you're, and, and not when you're out in the streets literally beating the shit out of people, setting things on fire and destroying property. Yeah. Because you think that someone who doesn't agree with your tactics is akin to Adolf Hitler. And if you don't do something, they will take over the country. You know what's really good for controlling people? Paranoia. Yeah, a lot of paranoia. And they have heaps of it. Yeah. Every, well, even, like I said, even with the Russia inclu- uh, the Russia interference investigations, yep. the Democrats were seeing Russians everywhere. Yeah. It, it's like they're, they're at the bottom of the Marios Trench digging, saying that it's got to be down here. you got to find these Russians are down here. There's got to be a here. deeper spot. Uh, it's, it's, all, all the Russians are down here. They're all, they've got to be here. And it's like, you fools, like the... The, the enemy, we've seen the enemy, and the enemy is you. It's not the Russians. It's not the Nazis. It's not the neo-Nazis. Like, there, like the, there are, like, the population of neo-Nazis in America is so, is so incredibly small, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's a rounding error of our population. Yeah. And yet, somehow, they're everywhere. And it, I mean, but, I've, I've got, I know some people that are very unsavory with their beliefs. But they're not nearly as bad as, you know, everyone makes out these, all these Nazis to be. And that's the thing is, it's like, have you ever met one? Like, it's like, I want to, I, I constantly am asking these people, like, have you ever, have you actually met a neo-Nazi in real life before? And they're just like, no. Okay. So if you've, if you think about how many years you've been alive and how many people you've met over the years and you've never met a neo-Nazi, don't you think if they were like 50% of the country? That you would have, you would have met them. I mean, as an example, I mean, not to keep, not to keep beating the LGBTQ drum, but I mean, I, a, uh, what is it? Uh, a, I, I, P oh, plus. I can't even keep up with the, with the amount of, uh, with the amount of allegedly oppressed people that keep adding on to that, to that group. But I mean, the amount of people who are actually homosexual in the United States is less than 1.5%. Yeah. The amount of people who are transgender is less than 0.5%. Mm-hmm. But their representation in the media, for example, is like 30%. Yep. There is not a show that comes out that does not have some type of a same-sex relationship. It's everywhere. Yeah. Okay. I've met plenty of people who are homosexual. So if neo-Nazism is 50% of the country, and I've never met one in real life before, then either that statistic is inaccurate or I don't get out enough. Well, if there are that many neo-Nazis, you must be a homosexual. I, you know, I must be. You're in denial. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I am. I must be. I'm in denial. I'm just in the. I'm just in the constant closet. If you're in denial, then I'm openly. So I guess. I guess we're both screwed. Oh Jesus! But I mean, so it's. I think it's. It's important to understand that you know that the a lot of these situations are are more so they're just symptoms of the problem. Mm-hmm. This is not. You know, this, the censorship aspect of big tech is not in itself of itself. It's not the disease. It's just a symptom of the disease. Yep. And that's the problem that we keep running into is, is that we're continuously trying to treat the symptoms 
and we're not treating the disease. However, the problem with treating the disease is it's going to take time and we're running really, really out of it. Mm -hmm. Like we are, I'm, I'm genuinely fearful. Now I know everybody can't, everybody can't see into my office. Wait, what do you think about, what do you think about my new shelf that I've added here? The collection. Okay. This is a shelf built by a crazy person. Yeah, I mean, and it's and just the contents. You haven't of, met my family. Then. Oh no, no, and I and I don't and I don't, pl- I don't claim to hold we the have candle. Hidden rooms that aren't even on blueprints. So, <laughs> but I mean, go ahead. <laughs> but I mean, it's like I'm I'm I looked. You know, I kind of sat around. I'm just like, you know, what are the ri- what are the risks that I face right now in terms of protecting my family and preparing for I don't know it, whatever can whatever my imagination can possibly come up with. Mm-hmm. And I, and I tried to identify a few key areas that I could easily solve on my own. And I was like, you know, I've got a couple buckets of food. I've got a couple bags of rice. I got some stuff to purify water. Of course, I'm an avid gun owner. Uh, and I have, uh, I have enough ammunition to entertain myself for a few days. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I have, I have body armor and it's like, do I need this stuff? Well, God, I really hope not. I mean, on well, all, but it's like my backpack. I carry around a tourniquet, rip shears, gauze, super glue food water yeah like do i really need that every day i don't but not I, not really probably not so but just, you know what i use it every once in a while yeah like two weekends ago my i was out camping with my buddies he was giving me shit before about bringing my first aid stuff everywhere he slices oh. his palm wide the fuck open and i'm like yeah and who's the third responder now right and i patched him up and he was good to go we did not have to worry about getting him back to medical attention because i had everything i needed sure you just statistic, like statistically speaking, you know, you're probably fine. Well, it's, but we, I but, carry two sets of gloves and two uh, CPR one way check valve masks. Right. Yeah. Do I really need two of those? What if I don't have a, my backpack on me? It's on my keychain. What right. if I don't have my keychain on me? I've got my backpack. Well, it said whole. It said whole emphasis or not emphasis, but the the whole belief that two is one and one is none. Yeah. So you you know you have two of everything and just you know it's I'm but I'm. I'm genuinely fearful of what the next year to two years is going to bring for this country for, I think the next five years should shell it out all the way. And, and I, and I think that that's, and I think two to three years will show us exactly where it's going. I agree. And, and the thing is, is I'm always quick to caution. Like I've got some, I do have a couple of people on social media that I interact with and they're, they're very much, of the attitude of where they just, they just can't wait to start going like door to door in their neighborhoods, dispatching all of their Democrat neighbors legitimately. Like, and I mean that legitimately. Like, yeah. And I, and I, I, I am, I always try to, to, in to caution to the strongest possible degree that I can. Some of these individuals who, yes, I do think that there is a risk of conflict. Uh, and I, and I, yeah. and I, I'm very hesitant to talk about it only because. Well, and it's a fun idea to entertain. Just like the zombie apocalypse is fun idea to entertain. But let's not, let's not go there until we have to. Well, sure. And, and I, and I think that it, it's important to have, it's important to have the discussion and the, and the self-awareness of it only for the fact that we cannot kid ourselves into believing that somehow the um, 
tendencies of human nature and the overall patterns of human history somehow don't apply, like as though the the physics of gravity do not apply to the United States because we are some type of a special country. We have to acknowledge the fact that people are still people and they still behave in certain ways that are fairly predictable and that it is possible that things could come to blows. However, the possibility is, of course, remote yeah. and enormously undesirable. And I think that's the part that I try to communicate to people as much as possible is they wear these like rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. where they, they live out these fantasies of being able to physically uh, dispatch their political opponents mm-hmm. and how this is not only desirable, but it is necessary. Right. And I try to caution them in saying the world that we have built in this country is predicated upon civility. Mm-hmm. And at the minute that civility is gone, it's our gone. entire it's window is done. Our entire way of life is gone. Yeah. Your ability to enjoy yourself on a Saturday night with another friend of yours talking about political topics at, you know, without fearing the government is listening to you or, Oh, who knows Mm -hmm. the, that's the way of life that we have today amongst a whole other, a bit of conveniences that people sometimes think are actually oppressive when they're not. So I am genuinely concerned, not only by the attitudes that I see sometimes with some of the people that I interact with, but I'm also genuinely concerned with these people that who, who are living out a fantasy that somehow they are going to physically eliminate Nazis. Well, you've got the extremists that want to, you know, that are fantasizing about taking out Democrats. You've got the ones that uh, see Nazis everywhere and want to punch a Nazi. And the one thing that bothers me more than both of those, because I understand that, crazed mindset to a certain extent well especially if you're very that are apathetic and think that everything is fine and nothing will ever go sour and i think that's i think that's the group that i always try to speak to as much as possible like again without without boring everybody with the details like the economy is not doing well right now it's it's on its way down and I talk to people about this, like, and I get looked at like I'm a crazy person. Well, it's like when I tell people with the crazy inflation on real estate, what you're looking for a house? Yeah, like I'm. Are looking, you fucking crazy? Yeah, like I'm looking to buy a house within the next year. And the only, and honestly, like as much as as much as I want to stay renting, I'm concerned that when when the when things fold in the next eighteen months or sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, that like where I live is going to end up getting reclaimed by the bank and then I'm going to be homeless. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I have the alternative of buying a home and taking the chance that the economy tanks, you know, but at least it's like, you know, it, I mean, it technically belongs to the bank, but I'm not renting from a landlord who will then, you know, who will only look out for their own interests. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm having to, to weigh those options. 
but I mean the the but with respect to the people who are apathetic, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is massive inflation in, in the real estate market, and um, nobody seems to think that this is an issue. But it also doesn't seem to be applicable to anything else that's taking place in the economy. And of course, again, I'm talking to people. I'm I'm you know talking to my parents. I'm talking to my wife. Uh, I'm talking to my in laws, and I'm t- I'm t- I'm like shit is about to go south. Yeah. We are we are in the euphoric phase of the market's parabolic escalation where everybody's like oh where where people are literally entering the market because they because they don't where the value of anything doesn't matter. They are just throwing money into the market because they think that they're going to get rich. And that's unfortunately right before it dips out mm-hmm. and um, the people who are apathetic were just like, Oh, I have, I have friends of mine. Um, again, I won't go into details cause I don't want to like roast anybody, but I got friends of mine who have been talking to me about some of the money they've been spending. And I'm just, you know, it's their money, dude. They can do what they want, but I'm listening to this going, you people are fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm shoving cash into the bank as fast as I can. And I'm taking it out as fast as I can too. Gold bars are always a safe bet. I'm starting to, you know, before I haven't really thought about getting into gold, but now I'm actually considering about converting some of my savings into gold just to, just, just because it might not be a bad idea. I mean, if if we're talking about historical trends, it's a very stable asset. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's another reason why I'm, I'm, I'm heavily into, into, into crypto. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you, we have these folks that are just like, oh, it's just going to keep, Everything's just going to be fine. It's going to keep going. And they don't realize that awful stuff can happen here. Well, a lot of, a lot of those people, like they, they see the real estate market and they see all these other like financial tells and they think 2008. Sure. Because that's what they remember. Right. But you also have to know that there are long-term historical trends. Sure. Yeah. That take, you know, a century two centuries, three centuries to repeat and aren't just every decade or every, you know, half century. And we're, and, and one of the things that, well, I don't want to bore, I don't want to get too, too deep. I could talk about the economic stuff for quite a long time. We should probably cut another podcast. For, for, we could probably talk about that, but, but it's the, but certainly the apathetic portion is, is um, individuals who think that the civility will always be maintained. And the one thing, you know, I don't know if anybody who happens to be a radical leftist will ever listen to this podcast. But if if I had like a member of Antifa here in front of me, mm-hmm. the only thing that I can, the one thing I would like to find, like I want them to think about how do they think the the individualists, not just conservatives, not just Republicans or libertarians, or but the individualists who are not interested in being oppressed by the state. What do they think we are going to do as you continue to tighten down the vice? Do they, do they really believe that individualists, people who actually exercise, like that's kind of the thing is like statists do not believe in personal responsibility and mm-hmm. justice as we believe. They consider right, justice right. to be, we get our way. Them justice is about conquering. Mm-hmm. For us, justice is about getting even, at mm-hmm. the least. Yeah, it's about making sure people get what's coming to them. Yeah, 
Um, I don't think any of them have actually considered the no. fact that there is a point at which you will have tightened the vice where you have removed people from social media. You will have destroyed their ability to make money by either getting their bank you accounts know who closed. A great tell on this is, huh? You remember the killdozer in Colorado? Oh yeah. People have a breaking point. They do. And when you push someone far enough, they cease to care about their own life because they have nothing left. And the and the thing that's really dangerous is and part of the part of the reason why I got off Twitter. And so if this happens to me, I have to only assume that it can happen to other people. From what I see is that leftists look at the like look at the president mm-hmm. and listen to the legacy media's interpretation of what the president does, mm-hmm. and they they self radicalize off of that information, mm-hmm. and they automatically think that if you are a Trump supporter, then you are one hundred percent in favor of all of these negative perceptions that they have of the president. Uh-huh. Ergo, they are now radicalized against you. Mm-hmm. If you follow. Yeah. People on the right become self-radicalized because of shit that people on the left say. Okay. At least in my case, I was continuously immersed in the things that the left was saying every day because I need to know. Did you end up getting ulcers over that? No, I never would have. I never, sure. I never got ulcers, but, but it, but it bothered me. Yeah. Uh. Like I just like the like the freaking Krasenstein brothers. Like these two dudes, they 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 act like they walk into door frames every single day from their level of intelligence. And in fact, I was actually I was actually extremely bothered by how shitty their podcast was. And this is not a professional setup by any means, but damn was it bad. It was like two dudes talking into a laptop microphone and reading off of some stupid script that they thought was actually funny. Like, it was terrible. You know what's great about scripted things like mm. that? Nothing. Nothing. Not a fucking thing. It was terrible. It's the most forced bullshit. It, Look at all the late night shows. Oh, and people are just like, oh, you guys are so great. And yeah, everybody out there could be like, you're just mad because they have a lot of listeners and you don't. I frankly don't give a shit anymore. If I really cared, you know, I like I was like, you know what? This if is I, if I cared that much about exposure, eventually my old podcast would be brought up and I'd, and that'd I'd, be, the I'd end be of, paying pendant. That'd be the end of that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, Though I, I stand by everything I said. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. It's like I stand by every everything. Every, yeah, that sounds like something I would have said. OK, yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, I, but I, I was, I found myself continuously dehumanizing leftists by reading their shit. And I'm like, I'm reading the words yes. that they post on Twitter. And I'm thinking to myself at some point, I'm like, if these people were on fire, I would not piss on them to put them out. Uh, I'm, I've got a high bar for saving people. I think there's probably five or six people on the planet that I would take a bullet for. So, and, and it's, I mean, and, and I understand the argument about me and mine, I get that, mm-hmm. but I'm just thinking like, like what it does is it creates like a numbness uh-huh. in my, in my own conscience. Yeah. No, I, where I I'm exactly just like, where, where if I, if I saw if again, especially if it's the very monster that they've created, mm-hmm. it's like, I would not, in fact, I would sit with a bag of pot, like if the Krasenstein brothers got themselves 
torn asshole, you know, to, to, to freaking navel from Twitter and they lost their account and their entire business model, which in case anybody's not aware, the Krasenstein, basically they make money by essentially hawking other people's books and, you know, their, their Amazon affiliate links and stuff like that, that they sell shit. That's how they make their money. Well, I mean, at least it's Amazon and not Alibaba re Oh, selling. Well, and of course, you know, we have to ignore the fact that they were welcome to Instagram on that. They, that they, uh, that they had a, they had like, you know, homes and massive amounts of cash seized by federal authorities because they were actually involved with uh, a fraud scheme with one of their sites. Get out of here. Oh, I know. Right. Somebody with a big following that was involved with a scheme. No, of course not. I mean, everybody's like, you're just jealous. You're just jealous. And like I said, I frankly, I don't, I don't really. Yeah, I'm not not jealous of, jealous of having my assets seized. In fact, I'm, Trying to prevent that. Yeah. And, and so, um, but I would read, like, I would go through, I would just, I read the comments and I'm just looking at this stuff and I'm thinking like, I just, this has got to be satire. Well, it's gotta be, but it's real. It's real. It's real, but it's important to remember just like us on this podcast, this isn't the only part of us. Just like, that's not the only part of them to think that they don't have any redeeming qualities would be deceptive. Everyone has some sort of redeeming quality as small as it might be for and I th- some and people. And I think that's I think that's ultimately why I needed to step away and why I just needed to leave it behind because I thought, you know, I thought, geez, here's Twitter. Here's a service that I have I've I've like avoided. Like I never needed it in my life. I never felt any inclination. And all of a sudden I'm just like I'm just like obsessively scrolling because I was like addicted to the outrage of the things that these people said. And it just because I was continuously in disbelief yeah. that they could possibly believe it's, it's like, again, it's like, yeah, we're all living in, you know, the 12th dimension with, you know, intergalactic pedophiles. And I'm just like, and, and, and I just, I got so, I, I just, they were just dehumanized. Yeah. I'm just like, they weren't even coming across as people because like you said, it's like these people don't seem to have any redeemable qualities and they're perfectly fine with cheering the destruction of certain people. And then the minute it gets turned on them, it's the end of the world. But the nice thing about it is just like when you break someone away from the mob, they calm down. You break them. If you were to have them in person and break them away, that's not the only part of them. That's the the part to remember about not going to your you know neighbor and killing the Democrat. It's that, there are so many different facets to and that's, people. And that's ultimately the major concern. And to stay away from a lot of the social media platforms that encourage, I wouldn't call it a persona because it's not something you purposefully do or other no, people purposefully force out of you. It's something that comes very naturally. It's just like, you know, the people that are all like... I'm traveling all the time on Instagram and this is my best self and right. whatever. They're probably depressed. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh yeah. And where you get, you definitely, you definitely don't want to get, you don't want to get caught up in that, like that envy. Um, and but, yeah, I think people need to be, can we bring back teaching the seven deadly sins in school? Well, it's, but you, your, your point about the aspects of redeeming qualities is really important because what ends up happening is, is that people are reduced to text on a screen. Yeah. And so, and there's, I mean, that's why YouTube has a little bit of, uh, of additional sort of runway with it, but not much because at least you have a, a face, a voice, but it's right. but what's, uh, what's essentially happening is, is that 
we're we're dehumanizing ourselves because the persona mm-hmm. that is that is perceived online um is very simplistic it's it's very two dimensional yeah and so there's no you know as opposed to having the person like if i'm sure you know i would like to think that it's like if i sat down with some of these you know whether it's maybe it's maybe it's the Krasenstein brothers like if i sat down with these guys and tried to explain what a rational conservative actually wants and how it's like, I just, dude, I just want to be left alone. I, I, I don't even think that talking to somebody about what you want to talk to them about and change their mind about that you identify as is the best way to go about things. I think the best way to change someone's mind, someone's mind about that, who you, who they are seeing you as is to just be around them and sure. for them to observe all the other facets yeah. and see, uh, well, I like this about this guy. They'll they'll come to their own points eventually. Most rational people will. Um, but once they get that barometer for you, they'll be like, oh, maybe what he's saying isn't that crazy. Yeah, and I think that's... It's the same way I came around to be... To yeah. The, to the right like it's maybe it's not that crazy and then i started looking into it and hell i agree with a lot of this yeah it's when you well i mean and and i think that that's that's the issue that we have run into with a lot of our communication taking place online Mm -hmm. is now we're interacting with people in very because the the u.s is a you know it's a we have a a highly diverse landmass we have uh highly diverse you know areas of the country you know the you know southern georgia is not the same as the city of chicago as you, you know you have overarching things yeah like being in an elementary school you'd hear an urban legend and somehow that urban legend popped up all, all the way across the, the us within a very short period of time sure and then you have regional sayings yes that i could say and you wouldn't have a fucking clue what i'm talking about yeah i can't think of anything off the top of my head but i've had those instances where someone's like you, you don't you, you don't know what get most of my you or my, oh, most of my sayings like useless as tits on a bore and stuff like that but yeah you're just like what is it you know you say, but I've, most people that i talk to down here just it glances right off and they don't like, have a fucking clue what i'm talking about but think about it for a second okay i know what a bore is why would a bore have tits yeah 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 okay but, but i mean that's that's kind of the 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 overall issue is, is that the the methods by which we use to communicate are enormously impersonal. You know, in not they're they're la- they're impersonal. Mm-hmm. They, um, they they lack an enormous amount of context about who you are as a person, and essentially allow you to like use your imagination to create whatever image of a person that you can you know conjure up, whether it be positive or negative. And as a result of that, you have individuals who who have who lack any real empathy towards, uh, you know, so suddenly now it's like, if you're a, if you're a Trump supporter, well, it's perfectly acceptable for you to be assaulted in public right? because, well, you had it coming, you know, I like, that's the kind of thing where now there's a, there's a lack of empathy for, for behavior that we would normally consider to be reprehensible. Certainly if it happened to us, mm-hmm. You know, you would not be in favor of anybody coming up and clubbing you in the back of the head with a bike lock <laughs> because you were carrying the American flag. Like that's 
that is not like un- under no circumstances is that considered to be acceptable behavior but, in a civilized society. Yeah. But back to my other, to my previous point, it speaking, being around somebody and spending time with them, you learn to empathize with them and you start to share a common vernacular. Sure. But by doing that, then you're speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest problem with the polarization is we're not speaking the same language. It's like hate speech and on the left and the right. It's hate speech isn't a thing. Yeah. But when they say hate speech, they're talking about offense. And when you hear hate speech, you're thinking it's some sort of like legal term. Well, you're thinking that you're, you're thinking about, you know, something just vile and vulgar mm-hmm. and, but then you discovered that it's actually characterized really as just like, oh my, you know, like the fact that, hey, uh, did you know that there is science to prove that uh, IQ is prim- primarily genetic and that potentially there could be evidence to suggest that certain ethnic minorities enjoy different levels of IQ variation, which may or may not explain things like uh, lack of success, increased uh, tolerance, increased tendencies of aggression. And it's like, that's hate speech. It's like, I didn't say that I hated anybody. I'm just telling you. Right. Whereas that there are what, that the, what they're saying is you shouldn't say that that's fucked up. Uh, okay. Yeah. But then, you know, but it's like, okay, well, whereas your retort should be these, it's a shitty thing that happens. I, w- I wish we could all be perfect, but guess what? We're not. You know, but it's like, okay, I'm just simply telling you mm-hmm. about something that I've seen. Right. You know, maybe I believe it, maybe I don't. But even the delivering of fa- even of a delivering of a fact, in other words, that this research exists out in the world, that's considered hate speech. But again, it's it's because it's not it's not about what it's about. It's mm-hmm. really about it's really about shutting you up. Well, and that's the funny thing that think they think the right is using all these dog whistles when really they're the ones using the coded language. They're they're hearing what they want to hear, and mm-hmm. but you make an excellent point about about not speaking the same language, and I ultimately the reason why the censorship is going to be a bad thing is mm-hmm. not because it's uh, isolating a particular voice of somebody that maybe I agree with. I'm not taking that standpoint under the guise that I don't like the fact that people I believe in are being censored. Mm-hmm. The reason why it will ultimately be a failure is because all it's done is result in an isolation of a particular group of people. And what you get when you isolate people and you don't expose everyone to essentially this speech is you do get radicalization and you create echo chambers mm-hmm. on both sides. Yeah. You you have you have the radical progressive left that exists within their own urban bubbles. They have progressive friends. They have progressive parents. And anybody who happens to be to think differently is considered to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And they need to be. You need to you need to unfriend them. You need to unfollow them. You saw all the the rash of friendships being destroyed. Because people found out that they were they were supporting Trump, people who won't date someone who voted for Trump. Yeah, and, so and that's one of the things that I take hard issue with that I've I've seen is 
whether or not someone who is a Republican can date a liberal. And I, to a certain extent. Well, I, well, it's to a certain extent because politics have become so intertwined with everything within life mm-hmm. that there is a, there's a, there's a, uh, an underlying philosophy that sometimes is not compatible, but it's not there to say that it can't be done. Right. And it's not to say that doing so is unhealthy it's actually much worse if you start socially ostracizing certain groups of people, because while the short term benefits might be the fact that certain groups of people feel superior and they defend their own territory, mm-hmm. all they end up doing in the end is isolating themselves from another point of view. Right. And then you end up with something like 2016 where all of a sudden everyone's like, how the hell did this guy get elected? Well, he got elected because there's 50% of the country that you guys were tuning out. Mm-hmm. You were tuning them out or you weren't taking them seriously. And surprise, they actually mounted a pretty sizable defense because especially coastal lefties completely forget there is a huge shitload of land that exists in the middle. Yeah, what they call flyover what states. The, pretty much anything that's not California, New York, Florida, or Texas is basically considered a flyover state. Yeah. And it's like, uh, we still, there's still people here. And so the censorship, regardless of how bad it gets, is not going to make things better. I think that's the most important thing that I can relay. It's not going to create an online utopia that people think it will, where everyone of like mind is able to fully express themselves. It is going to simply, it's only going to exacerbate the issue. Because then what happens is all the crazy lefties are going to be posting videos about how all of this nutcase stuff is taking place on the right and nobody from the right is there to go, whoa, hey guys, just so you know, number one, we got real people over here who are just as human as you are. And number two, we just want to be left the fuck alone. We don't want people to, I don't want my money being taken from me in taxes I don't want the public school systems telling me how to raise my kids or whether or not they should be exposed to any number of different sexual orientations. I don't want anybody telling me or my family what's allowed, not allowed in terms of religious expression. I want you to stay out of my life and leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but you won't get that message. It's always going to be, well, you supported a president who, you know, Donald Trump, who, who gang raped 50 women bound and gagged at the same time. Like, you know, these, the crazy things that people think that the president has done. He lied 5,000 times. Yeah. And I'm sure they've lied just that many times. The most, everyone lies crazy. The most current one being all of this stuff happening on the border, such as the father and daughter that were found face down in the water. And it's like, Man, like Breitbart has been covering migrant deaths from border crossings for years. Yep. They've got at least a dozen articles out there about migrants that died horrible deaths trying to cross across the U.S. border and through areas like the Arizona and Texas desert and stuff like that. And no one cared. But all of a sudden, it's a national tragedy. And you got these Congress people. I was watching this congresswoman. I don't know who she was. And she's crying her eyes out. And I'm thinking, but like, oh, look, she cares because she's emotional. And it's like, and if there's this is, not a term for that. Um, crocodile tears. Crocodile tears. Fuck off. If like, you, and that's the thing is if you, if you isolate yourselves and this is the only stuff that you see, and these are the only viewpoints that you hear, 
Mm-hmm. This is what you're going to believe. Right. And that's why the solution to bad speech is more speech. Mm-hmm. The solution to people putting out bad ideas is critique. Yeah. Not, ostrac- not ostracization, not isolation. It only makes it worse. And so that's the sad point is the tech censorship is going to get worse. We know it will. And it's only going to further isolate the groups. And the further they are from each other, the more they're going to be interested in tearing themselves apart. Or not tearing themselves apart, but tearing the other. Well, they will eventually. And I and what concerns me is, is that we're rapidly approaching a, a, a perfect storm. Whereas I, I'm of the belief that the only reason that we're not at each other's throats more is because people think the economy is good, because people are making money, and because they're able to provide for themselves and their for families. You take that away, you take away the ability for people to provide for their families, you take away their jobs, you take away their economic security, and of course the politicians are going to step in and be like, they're going to just be like crisscross, be like Democrats blame Republicans, Republicans blame Democrats. It's the same game. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to have two sides of the country that are going to be like, well, we'll see you at the playground at noon. Make sure to bring your guns. I don't want that. No. I pray to God that doesn't happen, but I'm concerned that pe- yeah. you're going to see enough people who are going to be at the end of their ropes with nothing to lose, who are going to think that all their problems are because of some crazy neighbor of theirs who flies a POW flag who must be a neo-Nazi because he's pro-military and pro-Trump. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go have a chat with him. I'm going to go help myself to what he's got because he stole it from me. Crazy things will happen. Well, this is, you know, I've hedged my bets. I'm wearing Under Armour shoes with Canadian <laughs> denim. Oh, that's so. right. <laughs> that's right. You just, for you, it's like, I, at the end of the day, we're just going to all pretend like we're from Canada. Hey, man, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> well, blame Canada. Blame Canada. Canada. Oh, jeez. <laughs> any, uh, any closing thoughts on tech censorship? We have covered so much. Just, I don't know. You don't need to be on social media that much. You know, I, uh, I don't, I don't, I, the only thing that bothers me about not having Facebook on my phone is I go to post pictures and then I don't have <laughs> the camera phone to Facebook transition is so much easier. Oh, we could do it like the old school, how I used to do where I have to, uh, text it to, uh, how did I do it? Oh, how I got my photos onto my phone with texting it to, uh, or emailing it to the text forwarding system oh my god so your phone number at whatever your carrier oh that's is. right i mean worse to worse there's always backdoors for stuff like this yep that's true yeah so it's i mean it's it's crazy to see it's accelerated so fast and it's only going to get worse um and it scares me that we still have people on the right who are just like oh this is no big deal nobody cares and it's like you will i think this is important to note you will be made to care yeah well i think with the financial stuff you will be made to care because you know what it despite what anybody says money is the biggest motivating factor in life oh without a doubt i mean we would we would like to pretend that we could all be motivated by and when with all those things that you owe money on when all your stuff gets seized and your bank accounts get closed you will be made to care. Yeah. And it, and it won't just be, um, it's important to understand that it's, it's not going to just stop. It'll be a nice slow burn. 
you can't and, notice and it, it. Won't, it won't be too much longer before it'll be, well, you know, if you say anything that's considered to be even remotely politically outrageous, even if it is leftist or even if it is conservative, we're just going to get rid of you. You know, if you're under investigation for something, you know, if you've got a bad social credit score, you're gone. You know, it's, it's to, to, to pretend like those things are not possible, I think is really setting yourself up for an extreme amount of danger. I think that's the important thing to mention is you can, you can remain apathetic, but it, it, but you are taking a very serious risk and there are very real costs to that apathy, to that apathy. And I got to tell you, I think one of the biggest challenges is you're going to have, you're going to have people. Uh, I don't know if I want to include myself in this group because I feel like I'm setting myself up for something, but you're going to, I think that the biggest challenge is, is you're, you're going to find it very difficult for people who have been self-aware and people who have done the research and for people who have been trying to caution their friends and their family about this stuff. You're going to have a, I think it's going to be a real challenge for a lot of people to have any kind of empathy or sympathy, certainly for all the apathetic people who did nothing when they should have been it, doing something. The only level I see that breaking down to where you actually will have any sort of empathy is people you actually care about. Right. Right. Regardless, they could say anything to you and you will still care about them. But I just, I, I think about all of these really prominent uh, people on the within politics and it's like social media shut them down, ended their business. If their payment processors threw them out, I just feel like good. Oh, now you know how it feels. Yep. And, but well, that's it's, a, it's like that meme that goes around. Um, it's, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, but it's an actor in a movie and he, in the scene, he's about to be hanged and he's looking over his, uh, how, uh, gun owners feel and talking about feminism. Your first time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? No, that, that, that's that what is, he said. Yeah. It's your first time. It's your first you time. Having oh, your gotcha. rights violated. Yeah. Yeah. It's your cool. first time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's where it's, you know, these people are like, oh, my God, this this happened to me. We're like, wow, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, now you know how it feels. Yeah, and life goes on afterwards. And life, and life still goes on afterwards. And it'll only be a matter of time before a prominent leftist gets censored on, tech, on, on big tech. And then everyone's going to pretend like it's some type of an outrageous situation. And we're all just going to be like, well, welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> yep. And you're not going to get any sympathy. And you're not going to get any support. But then again, you know, what? I guess I guess I could wrap it up by saying there is one of the things that that unites a lot of the intellectual, you know, the intellectual dark web, you know, aka you know, like Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, and Jordan Peterson. Um, I think about or I think about um, uh, who was the guy from uh, from Evergreen? Uh, uh, Brett Weinstein. Yeah, Weinstein. Yeah, Brett Weinstein. What's What's interesting about these guys is they've kind of arrived at their current. Like, not all of them are conservative, but what they've discovered is they found themselves on the outs mm -hmm. because they didn't toe the line completely. Yep. There are very few people that are legitimately right in that group. Yeah. There's but, a lot of people that have been cast off. But what they but what they discovered was is that people on the right were willing to debate, listen, listen <laughs> and tolerate their viewpoints. Yeah. And and not call for their, you know, their digital lynching. Yeah. And that they started to come around to some of the ideas that were being put out, especially with respect to government regulation, oversight and control mm -hmm. where they're like, Oh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And in the case of Brett Weinstein, you know, for him, it was all about, um, 
you know, it was about an annual tradition at the Evergreen College where there was a day without where all the minority students would not be there. And it was a way of calling attention to their importance and their presence. I don't know why he never saw that as a problem. But at the same time, he, there, there's a lot of things in life. You don't see it as a problem until it really comes to a point. Right. In this case, it's where the tables turn, where all of a sudden the day without became, if you're white, don't show up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I'm really okay with that. And it's like, yes, this is a good hill to die on, but they all turned on him so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's the other part of it too, is that there's all these people that are going to be appeasing the big tech censorship takeover. And they don't realize Sooner or later, they're going to find their head in the guillotine. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you might want to get come correct now. But, well, I think that's going to be it. This has been a great podcast. Another, uh, where are we at? Oh, we passed three hours. <laughs> I told you. I told you. I saw it break the three-hour oh, mark. I like, called re- it. Rest in peace to anybody who's still listening to this podcast, but we do love you and appreciate you, whoever you are. Thank you very much for listening. I have no idea when I'm going to do this again, but hopefully it'll be sometime before now and the time I die. (laughs) So we'll talk to you in the next podcast. Thank you, everybody.